All right, Awakening Indie folks, we're back again. I apologize, it's been a little while. Yeah, I've been uh, traveling around a little bit recently. It's been a busy time around here. I just got back from Atlanta, going to an oncology conference, learning more about how to do mistletoe therapy. And if you are interested in such therapies, we're definitely going to be uh, doing a whole episode on that and just kind of insights from oncology, um, holistic approaches to that subject, and how to support cancer. So if that's of interest to you, we're definitely going to be breaking that down. And I really want to unpack some of the wonderful things that I learned from the NDs, the DOs, um, the course instructors from um, PAM, which is the Anthroposophical Association that was putting it on. And so if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Um, But this week, we're continuing our focus on regenerative agriculture here in Indiana. So, you know, learning where our food's coming from, learning the integrity behind it, and how you can support that in your own community. And so today's guest, he's our first guest that's going to be doing a long distance podcast interview. That means that there's going to be a video and audio component to this. So if you do like to watch video with your podcast, we'll be uploading this to YouTube here shortly. So you can watch that way. But if you want to do the audio component, that'll be in the regular platforms that we usually post to. So stay tuned for that along with this episode if you want to check it out. But today's guest, Bruce Webb, he is currently out in Tennessee. He was a Hoosier up until fairly recently when he moved back out to um, Tennessee with his family to start doing organic farming out there and doing some other great projects. We'll be diving into that today. And, you know, I think more than anything, besides Bruce being just a a great wealth of knowledge, um, offering some great philosophical insights. He's just a great, great guy. And he's been such a great friend over the the past couple years. I was blessed to get to know him when he was here in Indiana through some mutual friends. And he's just been so fun to, you know, keep in contact with, see what he's up to. And he's just a solid human being. So I'm so excited for you guys to get to meet Bruce today um, and share in his message. Before we jump in, just a couple of reminders, as always, if you can like, share, subscribe, give us all the thumbs up kind of things that you can. We appreciate it. We want to share you know, all of the different guests, all the different sources of information um, that Awaken Indie is putting out so that we can get it in the viewer's hands. Secondly, appreciate if you stop by the store. Um, this month, there's going to be quite a few classes going on. So check out social media, check out the events page, make sure you enroll and sign up. I know Heather's teaching one on hydrogen peroxide. I'll be teaching one at the end of the month on methylene blue and DMSO. And also, if you stop by the store, you know, check out all the organic produce, all the natural supplements, the deli, all the wonderful things at Georgetown Market. If you're interested in the message and the story behind the store, Remember, we did an episode with the original owner, Rick Monteith, and you can check out and get a little bit of the backstory um, and learn a little bit more. But a wonderful family-owned organization that's been making a difference in the community, so check them out. We wouldn't be able to do this Awaken Indie show without them, without their support, so we're appreciating all of our Georgetown peeps. So I hope people enjoy this episode. Remember, it's our organic agriculture, our regenerative agriculture that makes a big difference in the community, giving us some food sovereignty and really being a cornerstone of healthy living. So I hope people learn a lot from this one. And without further ado, this is Bruce Webb, everyone. 
right, Awaken Indie folks. We got another episode. We're continuing our month-long focus on regenerative agriculture. And this is a special episode because this is our first guest that's actually not currently in the Indiana right now. He's not currently in Indiana, but he was an Indiana resident for a long time. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Um, he was a wonderful part of our community here in Indiana and um, still is just doing some work from afar. So Bruce, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. It's great, uh, great to reconnect with you, and uh, hope to reconnect with more people in Indiana here soon, and kind of share what we can from, you know, we're down in Tennessee right now, uh, and, you know, and hoping to learn from each other and share what we can uh, to always stay a part of a community, whether that's physical or spiritual, emotional, whatever. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people here in Indiana that are missing you right now because, yeah, there's. I just feel like there's so many cool agricultural projects coming up. There's just a big interest in agriculture lately. Um, and so when I was thinking like, who should I have on the show to kind of steward this? I was like, I gotta get Bruce on for one of these episodes. Cause yeah, just your philosophy behind everything. And we'll jump into that today, but I think people could really learn a lot just from hearing you talk. And so, um, I'm always curious, you know, I, we were just talking about this, like I grew up in the city. I was a city boy and, uh, something in me kind of wanted to go more out into the, the country, more into farming, more into foraging, more into herbalism, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm curious, like with your own, you know, background too, um, what kind of called you to go more down the agricultural route and start going down this path? Yeah. And, uh, so this is, yeah, this is a pretty broad question. Um, and, uh, it's specific, but there's a lot to it because I was raised in suburbia too. I was raised, like I told you, you know, at the candy coated bottom, uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my bottom was powdered. You know, I, I, uh, I didn't really understand, um, you know, hardship and pain, you know, I didn't understand, uh, uh, nature, you know, and, and we're all aliens, you know, we're born into this, I was born into suburbia, you know, in the, in the neighborhoods with the sprayed lawns and, you know, everyone's got their nine to five, you go from couch to work, to mm-hmm. garage, to couch, to TV and, and then repeat. Um, so, you know, I was raised with pretty, a pretty poor diet. You know, my parents, they, they took care of me. They loved me, you know, they didn't like, uh, let me starve, but, um, you know, it, my parents were working for like, par- like, my mom was a paralegal. My dad was an accountant, uh, you know, so no farm background or no, uh, no real connection to the earth in, yeah. in a way, but we, did, we did do boy scouts and, and, uh, have like little, uh, introductions, you know, to the woods, which we were kind of rebellious, me and my twin brother. So we spent a lot of time, you know, at the boy scout camps, just making fires and skipping all of our classes. And I think we <laughs> took like wilderness survival and just made uh, friction fires. And we'd always spark our little fire sticks at each other, you know, and <laughs> that was, that was fun, but that was our first connection to, to the woods. Um, and we got to stay in primitive shelters and build them ourselves. And we thought that was so cool. Um, yeah. but the only connection we had was, okay, nature's beautiful and it's cool. You know, it's fun. We can go and we can run around, we can explore, you know, we can, we can do whatever, but we had no idea what, what the trees wore, what the plants wore, really what the animals wore. I mean, we, we knew what a deer was and, and, uh, you know, um, just the bare, bare minimum. So it wasn't until I was about uh, 15, and my parents, they sent us on a, uh, uh, it was like a Christian Christian camp that was an intensive thing called, uh, I forget where exactly it was. I think it was in Michigan, but it was, uh, they had this thing called Alpha Expeditions. And mm-hmm. uh, we, for one week, we uh, got a kind of backpack with this group in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, we got to connect with, with the earth in a different way, which that's sure. the first time I was introduced to, um, you know, sit spots in a sense where each of us, we were kind of tasked to go out into the woods for an hour 
um, by ourselves each day and sit there and find a spot that was kind of special to us that called us and um, and just, you know, sit there and read the Bible or reflect mm -hmm. or, or pray and just, you know, kind of be and talk to God. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd done that. Um, and, um, you know, so I do owe a lot of where I'm at now to those first experiences where I was just sitting in the woods. And I think that's important for all of us is to just, you know, one certain kind of surrender where we're at now. Um, you know, cause typically we're most, most of us are, you know, sitting in drywall houses right now, you know, disconnected from what's going on immediately outside. So if we can just get outside, I think that's the first step and, and sit and sit with nature and just surrender. Um, you know, it's interesting verse that, uh, my first herbalism teacher, we would uh, go out to her class and she would have us just go out and sit for like, it wasn't like an hour. I think it was only like 20, 30 minutes. And we'd yeah. also, we'd do a lot of times like sweat lodges. And um, mm -hmm. after the sweat lodge, she'd be like, yeah, go, go sit or something. And yeah. it's just interesting what comes to you when you sit and you let things just like come into your mm -hmm. head or just like let nature do its work. And yeah, you get some interesting things that pop up. Amen. You know, and that's what it's, that's what it's for. You know, nature's our greatest teacher. And when yeah. we're not immersed in that as kids, you know, I've learned so many lessons, you know, within myself and outside of myself with nature that I consider nature to be my greatest teacher. Um, but, but we have to have that mindset to, uh, to, to be there, you know, cause we're all just such, so aliens, you know, we're just walking into this new world, like, Oh, what's this? It's beautiful. This looks cool, but yeah. you know, what is what's happening? So I, you know, a lot of those early experiences helped out and then um, a lot of questioning and then just um, a lot more time, you know, they, at the tracker school that me and my brother went to with Tom Brown jr. Um, and uh, uh, that was a big school that kind of forged us under in many ways, you know, they call it dirt time. You know, it, it's, you could have all the knowledge you want. We could have all the information. We could watch all the YouTube videos and read all the books, mm -hmm. but until we're doing something until we're doing it, we're really not learning. We're not doing ourselves a favor. So, yeah, you know, I mean, how many, and it's same in the herbalism world or the farming world or any world, you know, you, we get all these, this information and we get all this, this stuff thrown at us and, uh, you know, everyone's got the, the way to do it. But when we're looking at any given landscape or we're looking at any given situation, it's all different every yeah. time. And so is nature. You know, I could go to the same river. I used to go to the White River uh, every day after work, you know, uh, when I was up in Indiana mm -hmm. and not one time was it the same. You know, there, there wasn't a day that the river was the same level or the sky was the same or the birds were acting the same or the fish were acting the same. Yeah. Um, you know, so and that's what's beautiful about it is we're in this ever, ever changing flow of life. And that's different than what our society's, you know, shared with us. It, yeah. Our society is very regimented. It's very like, hey, we got to stay on this track. We got to, you know, burgers, fries, cherry pies, debt and 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 you got it, you know. Um, and, and that's just not that's just not how it is. So it's rewriting this 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 kind of conscious way we think um, and, and the way we can be in the moments. And I think that's the most important thing when we think about regenerative agriculture is approaching each situation in, in the moments, you know, saying yeah. what, what's happening and what is it telling me? You know, oh, and I love that. I love that. Cause I think a lot of people like if they even just go for a walk at their local park, they'll just say, Oh yeah, the flowers are blooming, but it's like, well, what kind of flowers are blooming? Are they yellow? Are they, you know, purple? Are they blue? What kind of plant is that? You know? And, even one plant, you know, can have a lot of different shapes and forms throughout the year. And um, if you do pay attention, like some people might go to White River and say, oh, yeah, it's flowing today and not notice much more. But it's like, yeah, maybe 
if you take time to notice, yeah, like what's the, the temperature like? Is it going to flow? Is it colder? Is it, you know, louder? Is it softer? You know, like you just noticing those small little shifts in nature and your environment around you. And um, I think unless you're continually putting in that effort, and I think nowadays with how we're living in, like, yeah, suburbia, it is like more of an effort for people to find time to, to get out in nature. But, you know, I would say like it's always worth it. You know, I, I've never had a, a time when like, even if I, let's say go foraging for the day and I don't find what I'm looking for, it was never a waste yeah. of time. Cause I got out and I had right. a chance to just, you know, be alone with myself or with maybe a friend or just even just get out in the woods and that's a reconnection in a way. And so I just think that's so true mm -hmm. that just finding little ways to just notice um, what's around you. Um, but I love all that background. I want to jump into some of those pieces more, but as far as more of, um, farming goes too. You have a, quite a bit of background in that as well. Do you mind sharing also how you got into um, farming and then maybe even just some more information about your own farm that you had here in Indiana? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I, didn't, I never really thought I'd be a farmer or get into agriculture, um, you know, spending so much time in, in the woods and with nature, but it just kind of naturally came as, you know, if I need to make money and, and uh, I, I'd, I'd want to make money as a caretaker, you know, doing the best I can to Mm -hmm. um, learn as much as I can about each, each process. And then it just became a passion. Um, so when I, I moved out to Oregon with my brother, um, when I, you know, right out of high school, we pretty much, uh, uh, sold all of our possessions. I was real into, uh, Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson. So we just kind of got rid of everything. And I, I read this quote, it said, how vain is it to sit down and write before you've stood up to live? <laughs> and that, that was, that was powerful. You know, I'm like, Oh, he just called me out. You know, I don't know anything. You yeah. know, I had, you know, um, I was actually enrolled at the university of Colorado and Colorado Springs for philosophy, you know, for this philosophy class. And the professor's like, Oh man, you're going to write, you know, plays and poems and I did not sell know books. That. And yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and I dropped out of that cause I, I felt like it was so, it was so like phony compared to like, you know, really just, getting rid of everything and living, living it, you know, like if I'm going to study life, how, how, how do I study life? If I'm just like going to college, you know, mm -hmm. if it is, is college study of life or is, you know, is, you know, so yeah, we basically sold all of our possessions, moved out to Oregon. Um, and we lived out there for about six to eight months. And that kind of, that, that tested me and my brother a lot. And, uh, you know, we decided that it wasn't the right thing for us. We weren't really living purely, uh, through that time. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, we came back and that's when, uh, we really started surrendering ourselves and praying to praying to God a lot and asking for direction. Like, what you know, what, what does all this mean and what should we do? Um, and then we bought a canoe and we bought a canvas tent and that's really what kind of kicked off, uh, kicked off everything, you know? So we lived at this campground in Greenfield called S and H campground. Mm -hmm. And uh, it set up this 12 by 14 canvas wall tent with a wood stove and uh, and just started just started living like that. Very cheap. I think we I think I lived on six thousand dollars a year at that, at that time. You know, wow. it was very, very minimal. And I was just, you know, cutting wood and, and having time. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I really learned how valuable time was at that time because. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it can be so much more important than money, but but that's a whole other topic as well. And I started working at a tree farm. So during that time, I started working at a, a landscaping place in a tree farm with fellas from Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua and Mexico. And uh, and I was the only, you know, English white guy on the crew. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a real big learning curve for me. You know, I was this philosophical uh, hippie 
probably with with no mus- muscle you know mass other than just what bare minimum to chop wood and get me by yeah um and i, I didn't really understand that hard work you know yet and that hard labor uh which which now you know i i consider hard labor and farming as a blessing and it's one of the greatest gifts we can have yes um something we should never really be afraid of even though we can be uh at, at times uh, you know so so that's really great but they taught me that they gave me a work ethic i started learning about all those trees and and uh in landscaping and i was and i just kept thinking as i'm learning about the stuff in nature and then learning about these things in society you know how do those merge and how to how do those compare and how can we create landscapes that uh, benefit us and and uh, benefit nature at the same time to where we could have uh, food, we could have medicines um, and everything. So, you know, during that time I was studying herbalism. I was really into it. I had my own little apothecary, you know, and was making oh, yeah. all this stuff. You know, I was barefoot constantly where my feet were always beat up. So I'd make these wonderful herbal uh, uh, foot baths with like basil and willow and, and uh I'd even throw in some chamomile and different things. I'd test out all this stuff for my feet to heal my feet and it would, it would, and it worked, you know? So mm-hmm. I started learning that the magic of these plants and, and uh, how fast it could heal me. And I started applying that to my life. So that's what started getting me into agriculture was, uh, you know, working at the nursery and having that time and, and starting to use these plants. And then I started my own landscaping company. Um, and then eventually I met a, a builder who I started working for, and then he introduced me to a, a landowner out in Park County that okay. had, a, a thousands of acres and cattle, um, and did some, we did some grain and some hay and stuff. So I, I, uh, made the decision to go and be a subcontractor for him and, mm-hmm. uh, set up the canvas tent on his farm and, uh, started restoring this 1800s barn and then learning about the cows. And, and then, you know, seven, seven years later, I was really immersed in agriculture, uh, and, uh, working with, uh, Amish people in that, in that area and met some really good Amish friends that, uh, and I would, you know, wake up at 5.00 AM, go pick produce, uh, come back work and then go and pick produce again in the evenings, uh, with my friend Amos. So I, I started learning about, um, you know, production, uh, produce farming conventionally and also organically and the difference between, between that. And I started, uh, working with the cows about the last two years of my time there, I discovered Joel Salatin. Uh, Mm -hmm. so that, that changed a lot, uh, you know, mob grazing the cows and moving chickens behind them was, was life-changing for me. I mean, to see the pasture go from, you know, 0.02, 0.03 organic matter in the soil where there are some fields that wouldn't even grow grass to, to mob grazing and moving livestock every single day, um, and watching the pasture just totally change and start to flourish. Um, you know, as I moved them through like uh, 40 day cycles or, you know, sometimes it could be faster, yeah. but, um, it was just phenomenal air. And I can't describe to you the, the change that I had just from moving the livestock, uh, every day. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, I started learning how to process chickens and do the chickens on pasture and stuff like that. And it was the best chicken I ever had with the, with the yellow fat that has mm-hmm. the, you know, the, of the omega threes. And I raised these freedom ranger chickens, which was my favorite chicken. Uh, it's like more of a heritage bird that finishes out at like nine to 12 weeks compared to, uh, six to eight weeks, like a Cornish cross. So the, yeah. you know, the Cornish cross is that white, white bird with the big, big breast. And it's just, it's just, it's just made for putting on weight mm-hmm. where they'll even blow out their legs just cause they, they just keep eating and, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, they're genetically made, you know, year after year to just grow into this big bird as fast as possible and be butchered. So, uh, yeah. we did more of a heritage bird that would, uh, be more prone to eat, eat, uh, insects and stuff on pasture and, 
made a made a brooder to where we'd supplement like we'd get some crickets and worms and just throw in there with them so uh yeah it was a joy and that all that kind of stuff got got me really into it and seeing good results is what really uh kind of stuck my passion with it and i just kept i just i'm always hungry to learn always hungry yeah. to, to do it no it's amazing because you've i feel like you've done like a lot of different things in your life and you've worked different yeah. jobs you've yeah, I've been in different scenarios. And I think what really stood out there to me was like, you were in school, but you were like, yeah, I'm not really living and I'm not really learning. And I think I even look at my life sometimes and I'm like, wow, like I have a lot of book knowledge and that can be helpful when I'm working with clients and such. But sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, you know, I just really haven't fully lived yet. And I think that's a, a problem with a lot of young people, um, especially mm -hmm. in their early twenties after college. I know I was like, I don't feel like I really retained anything. I don't feel like I really got anything out of that four year cycle that I just went through. Um, and I think like there's a, a whole generation that's hungry like that. They want to be given a chance, but they just, you know, maybe they're decks of college and they can't get out from underneath their parents. Um, or they just yeah. are scared of the world. Cause I mean, it's, it's a crazy time right now. Um, and I think a lot of the things you've done, like, yeah, it served you really well. Yeah. And I hope they serve everything really well. You know, I think that's the prayer is like whatever I can do um, it's for the greater good, you know, not, not necessarily for myself. Cause if I, I mean, if I was just living for myself, I'd probably be on the beach somewhere in Costa Rica. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, yeah. uh, drinking out coconut and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't yes. know. It's just, I think, I think we're, we're pushed to do these things and they, they mean something, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's, it's greater than ourselves. So, and, and if we can, it's always that mindset, you know, it comes back to that philosophy, you know, how do we think if we, if we have money in our bank account, what's that money for? Is that our money? Is that, or is that, you know, the earth's, the communities and God's. And yes. if we can see our assets and our equity, whether it's our skills, our knowledge, our tools, our money, our resources, if we can see those things as, as they belong to this collective, they belong to the earth, they belong to God, they belong to our community. That's a whole new way of thinking that can allow us greater opportunity together and allow us to turn our knowledge into, into wisdom, you know, through experience. Yes. Because, you know, if we're all on these own individual islands, just struggling and grinding for money, struggling and grinding for sustenance, you know, each of us has our own, has our own chainsaw or each of us has our own, you know, sawmill and our own equipment or, or whatever, you know, how does that benefit each other? And, and, and how are we really acting as a community? Yeah. Um, so, so those are the big questions I'm asking now, you know, to myself and we're also, you know, implementing into our lives is, you know, what can we, what can we share? What can we barter? What can we trade? How can we really come together as a community, um, in our English world that's been so divided and so separately and, um, and how do we see our, our possessions and our things to where they don't possess us? Um, mm. but, uh, they're, they're, they're tools and their gifts. I like that. It kind of leads perfectly into the next question I was going to ask you. And that was, you know, now you've moved out to Tennessee, you're doing your own kind of farming, homesteading, consulting also with some of the local, um, farmers in that area. I'm curious yeah. with where you're at in your life right now, who do you feel like you're serving and what's kind of like the mission going forward now? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, we were kind of guided to my wife's family land down here in Tennessee. Um, and we, uh, we decided that, you know, just through a lot of prayer and a lot of time and visiting down here that this was the right move for us for now. Um, I think we're very open and liquid just because life's liquid and we want to stay liquid. I don't want to say I have any definite like plans because every time I say that, it seems they, they change and they evolve and in some, in some way that, uh, yeah. that that's different. But um, yeah, right now for the next three months, I'll be working with a, a man here in town 
and helping him uh, get his small farm going, which he's very into uh, Joel Salatin's methods of, you know, cows, chickens, uh, pigs, and regenerating the landscape through livestock. And I love that. So I immediately connected with him and uh, said, Hey man, I'm, I'm your guy. Like uh, if you, you know, everything you're saying, I've, I've either done or, or I, you know, I've, I've experienced in some form or fashion where I know I'm, I can confidently help you out. So it just worked out perfectly where we were both walking those parallel lines and it just, it just happened. So, um, so I'll be working with him and we'll be setting up, um, you know, his, his cow pasture and corral and, uh, and we're, you know, going to be building some chicken shelters here soon. We just placed our chick orders, uh, Monday. So we're kind of excited about that, uh, get the brooder going and, and, um, you know, have days where we can, uh, have people out for education and how to process a chicken and, uh, just really share that. So that's something I'm immediately working on now, other than getting our mushroom barn going. And we decided gourmet mushrooms was, uh, a great idea. I mean, you know, fungi is, is, is just part of life and death and that constant cycle. So, you know, if we, if we don't incorporate that somehow, I think we're missing out on something. Uh, and there's a great mystery to, to fungi and how it works in the landscape and how it works in our lives. And and there's so much, uh, information. I think, I think I'm hungry for there where, how does it benefit our bodies? What, you know, how does that play into the role of everything? Because we can take a pink oyster spawn, and we can uh, just multiply it, you know, mm-hmm. so it's simple. Anybody can grow mushrooms. Anybody can grow it on straw. Um, and we can typically get wheat straw just about anywhere um, and uh, not necessarily organic wheat straw. And that's what's tough is finding a lot of organic substrates. Yeah. Um, um, but, um, you know, we can do it. So whether it's conventional or organic or not, I don't I, I would encourage people not to be you know, discouraged. Um, and nothing has to be perfect. Nothing ever is perfect. So just, just do it and let's get the experiences under our belts as a community and as, as neighbors and stuff. And, you know, and let's, let's learn from our mistakes and our failures and embrace our failures as the greatest blessings. Cause then we just learn, you know, so, oh yeah, uh, gotta love failures. And, and I think that's what it's all about. Uh, that's how I've learned the most. No, I love it. Yeah. I mean, especially in agriculture, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Like I, I have screwed my garden up multiple years and it's still screwed up to, in my opinion, I'm still like constantly tweaking things. Um, and it's taught me a lot though. It's, it's taught me like, you know, like for example, I remember I ordered soil for the first time and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go and just put the seeds in and stuff of like that. But you know, even though I got soil and I set up this area and I was really intentional about it, the soil is void of all those amazing things. And it's like, wow, I just planted all these yeah. things. And I didn't have a compost or manure, or, you know, any of this thing, yeah. of those things going on with it. And so, yeah, I mean, the thing though is like just getting involved and you just learn by yeah. trial and error and, you know, just getting um, practice like that. And then, yeah, you learn from people like Joel Salton and you learn how to do it a different way the next year. And you're just constantly improving. Yeah. Um, Amen. And we're going to definitely jump into, uh, you mentioned mushrooms there and um, it's kind of the things that yeah. you're growing and we're going to definitely do a whole thing uh, here in a little bit about mushrooms. Um, but I think before maybe get into like, yeah, like some of the projects like mushroom growing or regenerative agriculture and how people can maybe do that on their own, I think it'd be important for people to kind of understand, I think, more of the etheric side of things and maybe also like a caretaker's viewpoint. And I think a lot of your background from um having interactions with the native Americans, um, with the Lakota tribe and such that could be really influential for shaping, um, outlook on land and how we treat the land. And I think that's important to go in with like this viewpoint of not taking from the land per se, and that it's more of like this stewardship, this relationship with it. And so I'm curious, you know, what, 
um, have you learned from your relationship with the Native Americans and your experiences with them that have really shaped you as a person? Sure. And I think, uh, you know, the, what's hitting my gut to say first is that no matter what culture, no matter what color of our skin, no matter anything, uh, all of our all of our clans, all of our tribes came from the earth at one point. You know, we were yep. all, you know, unless you think you're some all powerful demigod that, you know, <laughs> popped down on pyramid from outer space and, you know, and uh, you're just entitled to to not working or producing. Yeah. Then, you know, that's that's your deal. But but, you know, for me, I, I think all of our heritages and cultures, um, we were we were once connected with the earth. And that was that was just like not very long ago, you know, mm-hmm. in the spectrum of time. Um and uh and and that's that's really what gets me is that you know none of us have to be like you know native american to connect with nature in a very uh intimate way mm-hmm. um nature's here for all of us and um there's signs and symbols and all these things that flow through nature um that creates a, a truly uh sacred space for us to heal and uh you know i i remember having anxiety and depression a lot as a, as a child in school and and it you know, I was sweating so much. I couldn't go in the hallways. I wore a hood and a hat every single day. Cause I wanted to like, I was just so sensitive. You know, I didn't know what things meant. I was so worried about all these other different things that I shouldn't have worried about or, or so on and so forth. I was just very anxious and, and, uh, you know, depressed. I didn't know what anything meant. So I'd go and sit with nature and none of the trees judged me. None of the, none of the plants were, you know, calling me names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I found a home there. I found a peace there. You know, birds would come up and they, they didn't look like they had any sideways thoughts about anything. You know, they were just being birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that was one of the things that, that uh, is very important with the Native American philosophy is, is just that, um, you know, we're, we're there as part of it. You know, that's our home. That's our initial home. And, uh, and if we can start seeing it like that, then we can start tracking and seeing things just the same as we'd see in our own homes. You know, if your coffee maker's out of place or it's dirty, you know, you'd notice that, uh, you know, so if you're out in nature and you see like a log that got turned over or it's got some, some holes in it and some grubs are being eaten, you're like, Oh, you know, maybe a woodpecker was, was enjoying himself right there. So you start to see things, uh, more, more as family, you know, and and I think the native Americans were really connected to the earth. That was, uh, well, you know, they're, they're producers, they weren't consumers and, and, uh, they produced for each other and they produced, um, in harmony with the earth so that she would have more and she'd be able to heal herself. And, 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 uh, you know, we've just gotten so far from that, the taking and, and the, and the consuming, um, it's really big for us to, to shake that off and become producers for each other and become producers for the earth. And, um, you know, this whole word regenerate regenerative agriculture, um, we have to make conscious decisions to, to regenerate the earth. Like I didn't buy a truck. I bought soil. Um, like these are choices, you know, I bought $12,000 worth of soil instead of a a truck. So these are choices we have to make, um, you know, through, through our future. Otherwise we're just kind of glorifying ourselves and honoring ourselves more than what truly gives us life. Um, and you know, the native Americans I spent time with, you know, it was a lot of ceremony and storytelling and, holding on to tradition. Um, you know, I, I haven't met one native American where they've been living off the earth purely and cleanly, you know, they've been a culture like us. It's, that's been, you know, taken from the earth and removed from the earth. And, um, you know, m- many of them that I've known had just as much anxiety or depression or, um, suffer from addiction or different things like that, where, uh, 
you know, we're, and we're at a scary point, you know, so I'd love to give you this romantic story about spending time with native Americans, but, mm-hmm. um, the feeling I feel is sorrow, you know, um, some shame, maybe some guilt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, there's some reality there that, uh, you know, we just, it, it, it's all about reconnecting with, with the earth, reconnecting with each other, um, and, and God, you know, what gives us life. And when I say God, I mean the source that flows through everything equally and unconditionally, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't mean this this spiteful guy that wants us to create religions and divide ourselves and and uh, you know and like I wouldn't call myself a, a religious person, but I'd call myself a spiritual person in in a sense. And I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in God. I mean, the Bible is a very important book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just our own interpretations and how we how we adulter things and, and and you know create rules and stigmas and dogmas and traditions and all these things that that keep us. Uh, divided that that uh i don't know that's what that's what gets me you know um with religion uh so it's it's tough to say like i'm right and you're wrong i mean that's you know that no yeah that's not good so you know yeah i mean i've I've experienced um you know sweat lodges um which to me that's that's like a pure form of, of detoxifying but also connecting with the earth in a very serious way you know when you when you sweat and you get everything out of your system i mean i remember and Northern California, when we did one, we, we were out there just in our boxers crawling on the ground, um, afterwards and just, uh, slowly stalking these Turkey, um, <laughs> this, you know, uh, and this was a landscape that was in the mountains. We saw bear and mountain lion rattlesnake and, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we didn't have any fear. We didn't have any concept of time. I mean, we were in those moments purely with that Turkey. And then we crawled into this spring fed pond, um, with some trout and we just watched them all around our bodies and stuff. So there's things we can do through ceremony and through, through these different, uh, um, you know, things that are passed down mm-hmm. for, from our ancestors that, that help us gain that connection. And a sweat lodge is one of them. Yes. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's so, like so, yeah. a great point there with a lot of things that you brought up because I mean, I think just first and foremost, starting with religion, I'd be kind of in the same boat that you are that, I do believe in something like that's higher than us. And, you know, I got through to that through meditation, mostly just having some very intense experiences. And I think looking back at the time, I mean, it was a big thing to help me feel more connected, but also more isolated in a way. Cause I, I felt in me that there was something, um, that was also in everyone else is in the plants is in everything else in the community also. And so when you realize that we all come from the, this source, you know, you try try like treat those things with more respect. Um, yeah. but I think it's also more isolating in the sense that, yeah, then you see the world that we're living in and you talk about that with like addictions with the native Americans. Now, you know, we've created a system where we've really set them up to not thrive. You know, alcoholism is a real thing on their reservations yeah. now because it's not the same life that they were living. And we've kind of given them these subsidies and exchanges that aren't really equal and so, of course, they're going to go more towards that because things have been taken. And I think that's what made me feel, too. Like, there's an isolation because I'm viewing society, culture now with this lens that we're all connected. But yet we're like have all these divisions. And, you know, when we say, oh, my God's better than your God and we're going to fight about it. You know, I don't want to be a part of something that's got a label on it. And therefore, I got to fight against that next door neighbor because they're not the same label as me. And um, it's yeah. just a hard thing to kind of have to grapple with. But like I said, I think you said, like, you know, if we can get back in touch with community and connection 
um, with the land, you know, we don't see those divisions naturally in nature. Um, and so I think like some of your, your background, just being like, yeah, like you were said, like in the water, just with the fish around you and having those moments where that division isn't a part of the day to day, that's kind of like that reset and sweat lodges can be that yeah. reset too, just to get you very much in your, um, more primal essence where you're like, oh, I'm like sweating and it's really hot and I might die. Kind <laughs> of that, that death yeah. feeling comes up a little <laughs> bit. Um, and so I think yeah. it kind of just gets you in a different mindset. Um, but besides Amen. some of those experiences, I know you also, you mentioned earlier, um, Tom Brown and if, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, was that more of the tracking experience that you went through with him? Yeah. So Tom Brown Jr. He was, he was trained. There's a, I mean, it's a whole story in, in itself where he met a, a Lapan Apache named Stalking Wolf when he was a young boy. And it was part of Stalking Wolf's vision since he was a, a young man, um, in his tribe. And, uh, and he, pa- Stalking Wolf passed on, um, as much information as he possibly could to Tom and, uh, through experiences and through training and really intensive training when Tom was young. So, uh, Tom became one of the greatest trackers, um, in the world through this. Um, he actually has this elk hide with all these different markings that represent each tracks and uh, pressure releases, you know, into the ground. Cause the whole idea behind tracking is, you know, our bodies are mostly made up of water. So anything we think, anything we do, anything that's going on with our bodies, if our bladder's full, if our bladder's empty, um, uh, is going to be reflected through our track, you know, is balanced through how we're standing there on the ground and, and mm. the Apache and different people through Africa, you know, typically anywhere there's like sand and, and a lot of like easy substrates, easier substrates to track on. These guys had phenomenal insight on what was happening just through a track, um, even to a point of seeing disease and cancer um, th- through someone's track. So I was really amazed by that. Mm. Um, you know, when I, when I saw him, uh, the first time I went out to New Jersey to a tracker class, I was thinking, oh man, this guy, it's all just like smoke and mirrors and, and uh, you know, what, what is, what does he know uh, kind of thing. And, and within 10 minutes of hearing him speak and feeling like the presence of that, and then understanding how he just, he saw that a, uh, you know, I think he said like, did anyone notice that a weasel had killed a mouse, you know, over there by the truck uh, this morning and then a, you know, raccoon kind of came up here came up on stage, heard something, flicked its ear to the left, you know, then looked back to the right, ran off it, right as a squirrel went up this pine tree. And I'm yeah. just like, this is, this is crap. You know, like <laughs> this guy's just, you know, he's too much. Um, and then he showed us, you know, and he, and, and uh, he showed us what, exactly what he saw. And this was just from him getting out of his truck and walking up to the stage to talk. Um, so, and obviously he probably noticed a lot more things than that, but you know, he, to me, he was like the purest teacher I've ever, not like a pure man or anything, but as far as like what, and I'm sure he's a good guy. I don't know him personally, but like, um, you know, he, he's just the best teacher I've ever had in my life as far as connecting with, with the earth and, and having such powerful skills, not only physical skills, but, but spiritual skills and things to that were passed down to him that were, that were really important. So I would recommend Tom Brown Jr. in the tracker school to anybody that wants yeah. to immerse and have, have those skills because they all apply, you know, every physical skill applies spiritually. Um, and they teach us a great deal, you know, making a friction fire teaches us a great deal about ourselves and a great deal about nature where we go out and we gather, uh, what we need. We start to understand what species work best for this friction fire, where, where to get the, the proper, um, you know, supplies from on what part of the tree or how, how, how dead and seasoned does the wood have to be to have a good friction fire or what, what um species work well together 
like my brother was telling me he tried out um, ash, like an ash spindle with a white, a white pine fireboard and he loves it, you know? So he was talking to me about that last night and it's just really cool. Cause we get to ex- explore these things together, but um, yeah, he, he had a great impact on our lives, Tom Brown Jr. And um, it's, it's all just kind of part of that, uh, putting more tools in our toolbox and uh, coming together as a community more. And I, and yeah, I, there's so much I could talk about there and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get off on too many tangents, I guess. But. No, no. I mean, it, it's a, it sounds cool. The, the tracking and I think it is a, a great skill to kind of have. Um, and I think from your experiences, it's led you to be able to do, some of these excursions. And I remember at one point, I don't even know when you were telling me this the first time, but I remember you talking about just being, um, in a tent for the winter and you were just like feeding a fire, like constantly, um, throughout the winter. And you, even before we jumped on to record this, you were talking about, you know, building, um, kind of a shelter with your brother. Um, could you tell a bit more about just like living like in those kind of situations where you're just taking those skills and like living and maybe tell more about those stories? Yeah, sure. Um, and I think that's important for us too in regenerative agriculture to connect the landscape. And and this is what puts us into the moments. You know, these are the direct things that allow us to see the moments is is time in the wilderness, is time in, in the woods. You know, Hoosier National Forest, the Charles Deem area. If you're in Indiana and you're listening to this and you're like, oh man, where do I go? Mm-hmm. Go to the Charles Deem wilderness area. You can park your car and walk into the woods uh, for a couple weeks at a time. I mean, and and that's allowed. It's free. You And, and that's what we did. We took a lot of advantage of the National Forest so, um, yeah, debris huts are one of the greatest shelters. It's basically like a small little A-frame hut, and you can look them up online. Just type in debris hut, a million people make them. And this is where we learned that at, at the tracker school was that's the best like survival shelter. And it's hidden within the landscape because you can make little variations of it. And we've done all sorts of them. Um, but basically, it's, it's a shelter that it, it's insulated by our body heat. So the more insulation we use, we build our frame and then... Uh, the way Tom taught us was that we know we have enough insulation once we stick our hand through it. And, you know, our, our, our shoulder is like at the end of the insulation and our fingertips can, can barely touch the frame, you know, so that much insulation. And we were like, Oh, let's prove them right or prove them wrong. Cause that's always kind of the, the philosophy behind, you know, once you learn something, you're like, all right, let's, let's see how much of that is accurate. Or if we can apply that to our landscape, cause you know, you're, you're not gonna be in the desert building a debris hut, you know, you'll be building a different type of shelter or doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, we did have all this debris and we did have all these things available. So, um, it, and we, we also had a forestry project at that time on 500 and I think 60 acres where we were doing timber stand improvement work. Um, and, and the owner allowed us to live in debris huts while we were doing this. So we built a debris hut camp and, and it was January, February, uh, during that time. So there's ice storms and snowstorms and rain. And we were, we were insulated the entire time and we were warm the entire time and we could, we had the best sleep, you know, so we made these shelters, we packed tons of insulation in there, tons of debris. Um, and, and that's where we start to wipe the candy off our butts. You know, we're born into suburbia, we're born into this world and we have all these fears, you know, sleeping outside, you know, how, how many of us are afraid to just go sleep outside in the woods right now? Mm-hmm. All of us. I mean, if, if you tell me you're not afraid, that's awesome. Then go do it. You know, then, then keep, then keep going and doing it, you know, like, um, and that's what we have to do is keep pushing ourselves beyond our fear so that we can exist in the moments. Otherwise we're just existing in our heads and with our own, our own will and our own ego, like, Oh man, yeah, I've got that, you know, mm-hmm. like no problem. But yeah. do we really, you know, do, do we really? And so going, going to the woods and staying in the debris hut, uh, 
very it's just it's just a it should be a rite of passage you know all of us should have to have to make friction fire and go go stay in a debris hut in the woods um and then kind of talk about what happened and what changed within ourselves because it's not like you can listen to what we're talking about and be like oh wow like i get it so much that that i've you know there's mm-hmm. no way we can like give anybody to understand like that's a practical thing we have to go do you know if you want to connect with the earth and connect with ourselves go go live in a debris hut for you know a little, <laughs> for a bit. little bit yeah oh, i think yeah. that's amazing um that experience and you're right yeah i mean like um comfort's a, a double-edged sword you know and convenience and so we can get really used mm-hmm. to it and it's a nice thing to have but like i know like mm-hmm. if i if, i remember you tell me like you had to feed a fire every couple hours one time when you were living in a tent throughout the winter just to stay warm. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, to me, I'm like, yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. But part of me is like, yeah, I don't want think I would want to do that. But you know, I think if people are like, how do I get started in that? Just doing like, you know, maybe go out like one day a week and just pop a tent down and see if you can like tolerate it. Um, because yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to work your way up to like, yeah, living into that. Um, yeah. Oh, we did that too. You know, we yeah. did that too. When we were starting, we'd have a tent. We, you know, it's funny because we actually had like 80 pound backpacks each where we were just like, all right, let's go out to the woods. This is our senior trip in, in high school. And we're, this is the first time we were like, we're just going to go out, you know, and, and be in the woods, you know, as you know, everyone takes their senior trip and stuff. And we decided we were just going to backpack. Mm-hmm. So we filled these backpacks up, you know, we were just going to walk from suburbia down through Bargersville on the railroad tracks. And that's what we did. Um, so we, we put on these packs. We couldn't even lift them ourselves. Like I remember it was so funny. Me and my brother were just like struggling to help each other with our packs on. Cause we wanted to take all those security things, all those comforts, all those things that all those yep. lifelines, you know, that we thought we needed. Um, you know, so our shoulders are immediately already sore. Mm-hmm. Now we're walking, we've got blisters after the first mile. Um, and we're struggling. And, and I think that struggle and all those lessons there taught us that we really don't need as much as what we thought, and then how do we supplement that with what nature gives us? You know, how do we supplement all that stuff um, with what's already out there? So, you know, we, a lot of it's just doing it and then realizing how, how funny you are, how funny we are, you know, at our approach and be like, oh, that's, that's yeah. silly. Oh, definitely. I mean, um, if anyone's ever traveled with me, I like, and I, I'm about to do this too. I'm going to an oncology conference um, in Atlanta on Tuesday. I'm leaving and I'm going to be there for, from Tuesday until Sunday. And every time I do this, every time I go traveling, I'm like, yeah, I got to have all these things. Like I'll pack like extra clothes and then I'll, like, I'll never use it. And we're all like pack all these extra food. I'll, like, I'll cook for days in advance to have all this food and convenience around me. And then I'm like, I just wanted to go out to that restaurant that was down the street that looked really cool when I was in town. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, we do a lot of that. Like we have all these fears in our head and like having something physical is like our, our mind trying to like soothe that on, in a way. And um I think when we let go of it though, and you just go like, just go and like, go to a different town. Like go, like if you're in Indiana, like go to Bloomington for the day and just don't pack anything. You'd, you'd survive just yeah. fine. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's like a little thing. Just go like do little excursions and you'd probably feel like that. Cause yeah, I think that's like inherent in our culture to be like, yeah, how do I soothe my anxiety with these physical things? Yeah. And that's what it became, you know, and that, that was a challenge for us. Once we realized that it was like, all right, let's, let's keep challenging ourselves. Let's go into the woods with just a knife. Yeah. And we started doing that or let's go in with just like a handsaw, uh, which, which is very useful. So, um, you know, in a water filter, you know, until we learned how to make natural water filters with, you know, grass and charcoal and sand and just these, uh, you know, different layers and layers, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, once, once you learn, it's cool, but yeah, I encourage all of us to take as many lifelines as we need just to get started. You know, like I said, nature's not going to judge us, you know, mm-hmm. we'll just laugh at ourselves and give ourselves a hard time, but you yeah. know, red oak trees, hopefully not making fun of us, you know, if it is, it's probably, we're not, you know, we're not going to be that aware of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although it feels like sometimes, you know, when you're starting out, you get smacked in the face with limbs and stuff when you get, you know, <laughs> you know you'll under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And I think what this all kind of comes down to is that um, you can have all like the the ideas about your project, you can get all the soil, you can get the plants set up and plan everything out. But um, I think there's really more of like an etherical side and a spiritual side to the farming. And that's why I think it's so important for you to kind of bring that up just to start off with, because I don't think yeah. we can just approach, you know, nature just from like, yeah, cut and dry. It's going to be like this four by four and yeah. that's how it's going to be. Um, exactly. So I'm curious now exactly. we're going to kind of shift more from that than I guess more into the cut and dry kind of things here. Um, so I'm curious with the etheric and then moving to, into this now, what does regenerative agriculture mean to you? Because I could ask a farmer that um, grows corn, soy and wheat, you know, what is regenerative agriculture? And he might have a different viewpoint from someone who's growing lots of different species and doing different things. So from your own background, how would you describe regenerative agriculture? Yeah. So from what I've seen and how I would like define and describe regenerative agriculture would be bringing organic matter up to a sustainable level that allows the plants and the ecosystems to begin to care for itself and for plants to begin to offer nutrients to the neighboring plants and to be able to have that communication and that that neuro uh, network again through the mycelium and the, you know, the, the fungi in the ground. So what what they found, you know, what scientists have found with the, the no till Rodal Institute and all around the world is that you know there's like a tipping point where we start to get between eight and 16 species um, that have been established as perennials um thriving together you we, we they've literally turned desert into into pasture into into wonderful uh you know ground that that that's beautiful and abundant um so you know how can we regenerate the landscape through building the organic matter and to me that that's what it's about is is um is, is giving more to the landscape than we're taking, not putting so many temporary band-aids on because conventional agriculture, all it is, is temporary band-aids. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you need nitrogen, you put nitrogen down, you need to kill a bug, you use a pesticide, you need to kill, you know, a fungus, you use a fungicide. Um, and you do it on a big enough scale because there's not enough farmers and there's not enough labor. Um, and like I say, so many of us are afraid of hard labor and farming. And we just read the Bible and last night, my wife was reading it and it said something about, it was in, um, like the Ciroc, you know, section, I'd never even heard of it before, which is, you know, shame on me. It was like S I R A C H like mm-hmm. in the Bible. And it was talking about how hard labor and, uh, and farming were, were jobs that were created up on high. You know, there's some of the, it's what God, you know, God honors, um, in a way. And I, and I see that, you know, like the harder we work, the harder we labor, the more, um, the more we work with creation as caretakers, I, th- I think the more, joy we have the more lessons we learn the more hardships and trials we face therefore it it does put us closer to that that connection uh with spirit and with all the things around us so regenerative agriculture flows through everything from spirit to physical you know where we're regenerating ourselves we're regenerating our our own mentalities and like you said that that all these uh you know philosophical things it's very important that we understand how we approach a landscape like you know, Joel, Joel Salatin came to consult for the man that I'm working with now in person. And, uh, and Alan showed me, 
who's the owner of this farm I'm, I'm working with, he showed me the paper. He said, well, here's what Joel said, you know, and it was this paper, this yellow paper that was, you know, uh, written down in, in Joel's, you know, quick writing, you know, his cursive writing or whatever it was. I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm thinking, well, like this might be Joel's numbers from his farm there in Virginia, but how does this apply to South, you know, Southwestern Tennessee, mm. um, on a, on a low lying ground that's next to a Creek that's, that floods easily, you know? So we have to look at things right where we're at. There's no, there's no like one way of, of doing it. We got to see what environment that we're in and address things as, as they come for us, you know, like down here in Tennessee is going to be totally different than up there where you're at in Indiana. Um, and you know, we just, we have to approach that, um, from asking the land, you know, what what is it, what does it want? What does this land want? What is this, what is it telling me? Like when I take soil tests and I see uh, what's going on with each different area, um, and then I start to take an inventory of the species and I start to understand the animal movement through the land, um, what is all of that telling me? You know, we have to really know our landscape and learn our landscapes before we start making these decisions. Otherwise, we're just implementing our own our own will onto the landscape, just like we've done for hundreds of years to destroy it. So yes. it's very important how we approach regenerative agriculture. And it's not just a word or some some fun terminology. You know, these are sacred processes that um, should be honored in a sacred and reverent, reverent way. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very important we approach it like that with prayer. And with surrender so that God and, and, and the, the environment can be a part of that decision as we make decisions, as we make uh, decisions, how to invest our money, what to invest in as farmers, you know, it's very important because we take all the risk, you know, we, uh, we take so much risk for our families and so much risk for, for everything, you know, like, like I said, I spent that money on the soil and, you know, I could, I could throw that down and, and uh, we could get a flood and it, you know, all of a sudden that $12,000 is in the Mississippi river. Yeah. Um, no, and you know, if, if I, if I don't, you know, protect it, if I don't get it planted, if I don't get root systems in it, you know, so, um, we have to really kind of approach it in a very, in that that's like kind of a caretaker's philosophy in my mind is, is the moment to moment, uh, realizing that we're a part of that ever flowing moment and, and, and learning our land before we do anything. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I don't know. You know, that's really what I, yeah. I, and I think it's a, a great viewpoint of it because there's just so many different definitions of what regenerative agriculture means. Oh. Like you can walk into a store and get um, meat and it says free range and regenerative, but that might not be the same thing that it means to you. If you're, you know, when I was visiting yeah. your farm that you had here in Indiana, like it's just amazing the different things that you're producing and um, just the different practices. And it might not even include that etheric side. Like it might be regenerative. Maybe they are doing the right thing with the soil, but like, are they treating the animals like with respect where you have a relationship with the animal or are you just, you know, yeah, raising it, feeding it, and then going to go slaughter it. And that's all you have with it, you know? And so, um, I think we really got to get in mind, like who's growing what we're eating. Um, are they yeah. doing it one, the right way with the soil, but two, like what's their philosophy behind how they're farming? Cause that also, is in the food when we eat it. And I think it, it takes a lot of integrity nowadays for farmers because I mean, it is really, really hard work and there's sometimes very little benefit that's provided or even um, support. And so you gotta have some, like, you gotta have a backbone, I think, to get into farming. Um, and I, when I think about, you know, what you had here in Indiana with your farm, it took a lot, I think a lot of your own backbone to say, Hey, like, I know people around me are spraying and I can see like overhead yeah. things being sprayed down and say, hey, that's still not good enough. And so 
I'd be curious for you to share a little bit more about your decision with that and also why, you know, pesticides and chemicals are so bad. Yeah, sure. Um, wow. Yeah. And, th- and this is, this was a real heartbreaker for us, you know, cause uh, you know, I love Indiana. I love all you guys up there and uh, being with the Amish community, it just seemed like there's benefits everywhere. There's just resources ever. If I needed something fixed, there was somebody next door that could fix it. Um, if I needed help with something or, a, you know, it's just great. You know, I had it, we had it all worked out, you know, it felt great, but then we got sprayed, you know, um, we're, we're 10 acre farms surrounded by, uh, you know, hundreds of acres of, uh, conventional farms. And, uh, when we moved in, we talked to the farmer, I, I went out right when he was spraying and walked up to their spray rig and talked to him and said, Hey, you know, what are you guys, what are you guys spraying? Uh, are we going to have to worry about this? Can we, uh, make sure that we've got the, you know, 30 foot, hundred foot buffer or whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, that's fine. We can, um, you know, you can grow whatever you want. Everything will be okay. And he was just reassuring me. And, you know, meanwhile, there's this guy that's all suited up, you know, getting, you know, fixing his nozzles and stuff like that. And, um, and then they're all sharing with me their horror stories about how they've each been to the hospital from, uh, accidental contamination and stuff. And a couple of them had to give themselves the emergency shots in their legs. Um, cause each, each one of these things comes with a kit, you know, to save your life in case you get a little bit on you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, just that, just that alone is, is, is Should bring some red flags. Yeah, but we're going to spray this all over the earth. So, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, so, yeah, you know, we we tried. We had beautiful gardens there. You know, it was a great garden. Um, uh, we we watched the earth start to regenerate. We we started seeing all this wonderful growth, um, um, you know, from even just some simple mowing and everything. But then um, got time for fungicide and so some more spraying and stuff. And they they went over with crop dusters and um and it just covered our whole property. So that, that was really crazy to us. Cause we had watched these monarchs, these monarch butterflies take shelter on this milkweed down in the b- bottom of the Valley. And, uh, we had all these pollinators, all these bees, all these different butterflies. And then we had these beautiful monarchs. Um, and right when it got sprayed, everything was gone. Everything was wiped out. Um, and, and I'd never seen that sort of silent devastation for you know we drive by these farms we drive by everything we're not you know we're not necessarily like aware of of um, what's happening to the environment around us because we're just from point a to point b most of the time and you know we're not really connected with that but we literally watched all of all of the bees all of the butterflies they 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 weren't there they weren't there anymore we didn't understand it and the birds were even not not even as much there and then our plants didn't grow back i mean they weren't there weren't any new flowers any new growth for a couple of weeks and I asked a guy, I said, what's going on there? And he said, Oh, that's the growth inhibitors. You know, we, we put, we mix in with our herbicide. Um, you know, he's like, Oh, it'll start growing back in two to three weeks. You know, don't worry about it. You know? Uh, so it, it is just so heartbreaking that we had this organic garden. We put so much money into the soil because you know, you're, you're buying expensive compost as an organic farmer, uh, if you're not making it yourself, um, which when we have to deal in tons to get started, we have, we have to buy it. Um, so, you know, we invest all this money, all this time, all this energy. We thought we'd be there for years and years to come, raise our family there. And then we had to make that hard choice, uh, where our backs are up against the wall. There's nothing we could do. You know, we didn't have the finances to go ahead and offer him millions of dollars for his acreage. Um, you know, it's just, it's just not possible. So, you know, and, and I don't know how to get there as a, as a people, because it needs to happen 
needed to happen years ago, you know, mm-hmm. where we, we adopt different practices because when we independently test fields in Indiana, I mean, we're seeing some fields with organic matter, like deserts, like literal deserts where all they're, all they're going to be doing is just, it's just dead soil. There's no life. There's no, um, no micronutrients and organic matter was like 0.01, 0.02. I mean, and we're talking about like way back in the day when we first came here, organic matter was 60 to 80%. The life in the soil was 60, 80% organic matter. Yeah. So you go out in the woods, you know, we, and this is a good test. You know, if you're, if you're like listening to this and you know, you're at home or whatever, go out into the woods and do a section, pull back some leaves and some debris and get a handful of soil and just smell it. You yeah. smell, smell the life and the, the what's happening there. And then, and then go out to your a farm field, you just park on the side of the road, go to a field and, 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 pick up a, you know, a handful of that soil. Uh, and, and there's a huge difference. You know, you don't need to be an agronomist to, uh, to understand a difference there. You don't need to be like a rocket scientist, you know, to smell soil. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a huge, huge difference in the texture in the life in the soil. Um, and, and we're, we're watching ourselves kill ourselves every day. And, uh, and it's, it's just so important. Um, it's, it's so important. So, I, you know, it, it broke our hearts to sell that farm, but that's what we had to do. You know, it's part of living, living in the moments of time where you realize like, okay, this was, uh, this wasn't the best decision, you know, even though so many things worked out for the time, it was probably the right decision for us at the moment, you know, to, um, to transition and learn those lessons and see those things firsthand to have this sort of testimony. But, um, but, you know, the, it's hard. It's hard, Aaron. You know, where is a safe place? Where is a clean place? Where is where is clean water? Where is clean clean ground? Um, yeah. And you know, it's it's up to us. It's up to us. Otherwise, you know. Well, I think we're at the point right now where, like you said, like there's no great answer to what's going on, and I think we have to think about like, I think it's through things like just talking with people and educating them about why that might be a concern, and just helping them um, understand more. Because I think when we I mean, if you do something wrong and you see the bad results, that's one thing. Because then you can course correct, right? And you can change that. But if you do something wrong and you ignore it continually, I think that's like a form of evil that's in the world. And I think right now that's what we're up against where it's like, obviously something's wrong where we're giving out these medical kits along with what we're spraying on our farmland. And we're just going to ignore that and sweep it under the rug. And I think, you know, we need people with integrity, like, like yourself was saying, like, hey, like, I could still continue to grow organically at, you know, where I'm at and just ignore the fact that they're spraying overhead and just hope for the best, but to say, Hey, I'm not going to put up with that and I'm going to find a different way. You know, I think we need people who are going to just like not sacrifice on quality and, um, spread a message and just like, you know, inspire people to make that change. And it's going to be slow and gradual. And I think we're seeing like now with the crazy times that we're living in, in a lot of different ways that, Sometimes we need to see like the monster. I think that's like within culture for us to say, Hey, not going to do that anymore. And, you know, I think when we understand what we're capable of, that's when we can really make a big change. And so kind of in that vein now, if someone listens to this and say, Hey, yeah, like that's, that's horrible to me that we're there spraying that and it's wrong. How can I get involved in those kind of regenerative practices? Um, and I'm going to assume that most people that are listening to this don't have like hundreds of acres. They probably have more like, an acre max and a backyard garden. Um, how can they make yeah. a difference even in their community with restoring the land? 
Well, one of the biggest differences there would be what, what we purchase. Um, you know, mm-hmm. buying from a local organic farmer is going to be the, the biggest way they can support. I mean, if, if we can, like, I mean, if, if I, if I can raise a thousand chickens, you know, and I, and I know that I'm going to be able to feed people here locally and they, they come and buy a chicken every other week or something, you know, a whole chicken to cook for two or three meals, you know, a six to seven pound chicken should last two or three meals. Um, you know, we get a chicken in from the store. They, they raise them out to like three and a half pounds just to get them out quick or something. Like we bought an organic chicken from the store. It was like 12, $13. Um, and I was like, man, why is it so cheap? And I realized it was only three and a half pounds. Um, so, you know, most people don't want to buy a, a six pound chicken, you know, for 25, $30 sometimes. Yeah. But if, if we can realize like that, that's actually like saving us money. It's giving us medicine mm-hmm. and, um, and it's creating multiple meals. That's wonderful for the family. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we get two or three meals out of it, which the first meal is the baked chicken. The second meal is typically a barbecue chicken pizza that we, that we make because we just love barbecue chicken pizza. Yeah. And, uh, and then the third meal is the stock, you know, we make stock and we make a soup. Yep. So, so, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole philosophy on like, you know, it's, again, it's a mindset, it's a mind change on what we're buying, what we're purchasing, what we're doing as consumers to help the producers, you know, that are, that are doing this because we need support. And um, the education's just now kind of coming there where a lot of people are waking up to, to, uh, you know, do I want to buy a chicken that's been in confinement or uh, been in partial confinement um, where they're all pecking each other. And it's kind of a, a, a rough, a rough environment that's um, sad and smelly. And, you know, we all know that. And, uh, or do I want, you know, a, a chicken that's been moved twice a day on pasture that, that is always fresh. It's always been given, uh, you know, fresh sunlight and fresh air and, and fresh food and, and, uh, you know, and, and, it was processed with a prayer, with, with a thank you, with gratitude and in a reverent, uh, situation, you know, even when we take its life. Um, so there's a whole, there's a whole thing there, you know, so for someone with an acre or half acre or a quarter acre, yeah, it's great to have a garden, please garden, please, you know, let your land, um, let your yard do its thing without, you know, chemical sprays and, and all this stuff. I mean, clover and, and, plantain and all these wonderful broad leaves i mean they're so beneficial to us why do we mm-hmm. want to kill them why do we want let your weeds that? grow you know, <laughs> let your weeds grow yeah. you know it's the most simple thing just let it happen let it happen and mow it you know mow it weed eat it whatever you got to do make it look beautiful but let it grow because it's it's still as beautiful it's still nice to step on you know I'd, I'd rather step on a bunch of broad leaves and, and mix in with some clover and grass and i'd rather step on just a bunch of grass mm-hmm. that uh you know so it's just funny you know that what we've done to ourselves and how we've justified it and you know uh so so, so yeah it's like we have to purchase from organic farmers we have to purchase from regenerative farmers we have to like really make an impact that way because that's going to create more farmers that's going to create more you know, if there's more of a need, then more farmers are going to step up to the plate. You know, yeah. if, if, if Ethan's growing 4,000 chickens, he's like, man, I can't keep up with this 4,000. Aaron, could you grow another thousand that creates more farmers, you know? And then mm-hmm. you guys are sourcing feed together. It's like, all right, well, where am I going to get my feed? If the only organic feed store is in, you know, Kentucky or Wolcottville, Indiana, um, you know, then you, then you start coming together as a co-op because you're like, all right, well, we both need this organic feed. How are we going to grind it? How are we going to purchase it together? And then we pay freight together. And, and that's, that's what's naturally happening with this organic community is like co-ops are created. Communities are created because you're, you're working towards these efforts and we're working towards these things. And now we can share together. We can share tools. We can share tractors. We can share, um, you know, infrastructure together. So 
um, I think, you know, through these regenerative practices, communities naturally created. It's like a side effect of, of, of caring for the land. It's like, okay, community comes together more because you need each other, you know, and all of a sudden we're talking to our neighbors more. Uh, and, and it's wonderful. Like all of our neighbors down here in Tennessee, we all, we all know each other. We can help each other out. You know, if I crawl under this house and fix his plumbing pipes, you know, I, I just got to use my friend, John boy's tractor, um, you know, to backfill my electric hole. And, uh, you know, and then the other neighbor dug my electric trench, um, because I was helping him load hay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're always changing, we're exchanging these skills and services and things with each other. Yeah. We're not exchanging, you know, like, uh, and it's beautiful, you know, so how can we build community if, you, if you're on an acre of land? What's your neighbor doing? Do you know your neighbor? Do we know our neighbors? You know what I mean? Do we really know our neighbors? Do we know what we, you know, have we taken an inventory of what skills and knowledge and uh, things we have that we could share with them? And have we offered it to them? Have we have we offered help? Have we offered our service? And I think that's where it starts is just being kind enough to uh, offer our services, you know, trust man and he'll be true to you. Treat him greatly and he'll show himself great. Yeah, uh, that was Ralph Waldo Emerson said that, and I really, I really believe that. No, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head right there with, yeah, how do you start? And it's, yeah, supporting the people around you and then um, even asking yourself, can I get involved? And yeah, can I get to know my neighbors? I love that. That's just a, that's an easy one that you could go do today. You just go walk outside and knock on your neighbor's door um, and start up a conversation. Yeah, Um, the world's not, yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. like, Like going up to your neighbor, it's like, hey, you know, obviously we're all watching the the same stuff on YouTube or the, or the news or whatever else, you know, and I don't really watch any news, but I'm sure a lot of people are watching things happen. And it's like, we have to have those conversations. You know, we, we just have to, we have to say, you know, Hey, how, if you guys need anything, I'm here mm-hmm. and, and, and meet and, and mean it and maybe offer something right off the bat, you know, offer something you we've cooked or we've made or, you know, and, and try and make that, make a connection no matter what. And just always, always be kind, you know, yeah. like just, just be, be kind to each other and, and understand that we're all living, we're all struggling. You know, every one of us is struggling. I don't care what kind of face we put on, you know, you know, to each other, we're all in this together. Yep. Um, uh, and, and, and it's just important that we understand that and we have the compassion and the empathy, uh, to, to be there with each other, uh, because that's how we're going to do it. There's there's no other way. We can't all just individually go out there and be like, oh, well, I'm the best regenerative farmer. So I've got it figured out. I'm, you know, look at me. Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, if, if, if that guy is the best regenerative farmer in, in the world and he's taking care of a couple hundred acres, but he has no community. Mm-hmm. And, and there's there's, you know, then, then we have nothing. We have we have nothing. Uh, if we don't have love, we have no, we have nothing. Um Sorry to interrupt you there, but no, thanks. no, I think, I mean, that's right there. I mean, like, that's like a great headline right there. Like if we don't have love, we don't have nothing. Um, cause yeah, love, I mean the quality behind how we're going to do, uh, all of our practices in our life, whether it's farming or just the way that we're going to live it today needs that backbone behind it. Um, and I love that. Yeah. I just go knock on people's door or make them some food. I, I always find it funny that my friends, um, always want to come over and hang out cause I cook them meals all the time. Um, and yeah. it, to me, it's like, it's nice because like, I love cooking for people and it's just like a, a great thing yeah. to do and just create community around it. And, um, yeah, just having like potlucks. I think we, like we, as a culture kind of, um, we flock around food in a way. And so, yeah, if we can create yeah. something that's really nourishing in our kitchens for people, they're going to feel nourished inside. Um, yeah. And I'm going to assume, too, because just with some of my friends I know that are around my age, they're interested in things like agriculture. And, um, and some of them might be like going to the local co-ops and choosing to buy things in a certain way or going to the markets on Saturday mornings. Um, 
but for maybe like the people who are around like my age, like I'm 27 or maybe even a little Uh bit younger and maybe they're like, well, I don't know really how I want to go about in this world, but I know I want to make a difference and, um, kind of start being more sustainable, I guess would be the big thing. Would you inspire them maybe or like guide them to say, Hey, maybe you should go get your own land. Is that something that people could, should consider is like, Hey, maybe I should go buy a couple acres and start just like working with that. I I think about that, especially considering that we have like Bill Gates buying up a lot of farmland right now. And that's a little scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is important that we, that we keep private land. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a big goal of the, it's like you're saying is to to uh, make us rent or lease you know so we we never have ownership um so so that is important you know even even co-ops where we can get together as friends and groups um which i'll always be pushing for and you you know me i'm always trying to get a community together if we can yes. i mean if we could all liquidate, if we could all liquidate right now and and buy you know 600 000, 2, 000 acres uh, amongst you know 30 to 50 families or something i would love that mm-hmm. um i'd do i'd do it you know um and uh you know, so I, I think it's important. Yeah. Buy land when we can, um, and, uh, make sure we have an idea about how we're going to sustain it. Um, and, and I'd be happy to help anybody. Um, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, Hey man, I, I really could use some advice. I mean, I, I definitely do that. And I love that. And I, um, it's just, it's just part of what, where life has taken me. I'd be happy to help. But, um, yeah, man, it, it is, it is important. You know, if, if four friends could only afford even to lease land or something like that, or two friends wanted to go in and lease land together, um, you know, come up with a plan to raise pasture chickens on that lease land, you know, do something that's going to be a higher, a quicker return right off the bat, rather than like, Oh, I want to buy land and put cattle out there. Mm-hmm. You know, cattle are slow, you know, um, just like, you know, if you want to grow a bunch of sweet corn, then all of a sudden you're just committing to tons of labor and, and not much, you know, not much return. Yeah. So picking our crops on like high rotational crops that are done, you know, if you do a bunch of radish and salad greens and uh, beets and, and uh, spinach and stuff like that, um, those are going to be much faster and quicker returns uh, to, to, to help build a small farm right from the bat, you know, from the get go. I mean, there's people that make livings off eight, eight acres, quarter acres, half acres um, to supplement their income or, or make complete livings off it if they're growing high valued greens right in a Mm -hmm. good area. So depends on what what area and what, what market we're in, what people like, like down here, we're going to be growing a lot of okra because people just, we couldn't, we couldn't sell enough okra last year, which I never thought I'd be like an okra farmer <laughs> as a cash. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's great. And it's, it's, it works for me. So like I, I only weeded it one time. I let the clovers grow up underneath it, put mulch in the walkways, um, put compost down again, once it was grown up. And, uh, once the leaves were out, I, like I said, I only weeded it one time and then I could go through it. And as it would grow up, I'd pick it right off and it doesn't hurt my back as much as, as other crops. So we've got to gauge like where we're at as a laborer, you know, where we're at in our age, uh, what's going to work best for us. We want to be perennial. We want to focus on perennials. Do we need to focus on some annuals? Cause you know, a lot of us eat mostly annual crops, you know, uh, as our, as our normal meals. So there's got to be some kind of mix of, uh, within that permaculture system of annuals and perennials, um, cause our perennials are going to take, you know, three to five years or more to mature. Um, so we need to have some kind of annuals working for us in the meantime. Um, sure. and those, you know, if we want to start out, we need to think about chickens, uh, not, not necessarily layers, but broilers, you know, meat birds on pasture are a very quick turnaround. If you do a Cornish cross at six to eight weeks, um, and, and we're going to have about, you know, nine to $10 a bird in all said and done, um, that doesn't include the shelters, or the, or the facility or any kind of setup, but that would include, 
um, you know, the feed costs and maybe like the waters and some extra time. And, and we can get lower than that just based on bulk feed. But for the typical backyard gardener, they might be uh, $10 into each bird and be able to sell those for 20 to $25. So if yeah. you're looking at 100% margin, yeah. So like right off the bat, you can get 100% margin on however many chickens you raise. That, that could help, you know. So when you start raising 1,000 to 4,000 chickens, um, that starts to be an actual an actual income. Um, it's, it's a pretty decent investment, but, um, look at all this other stuff we're investing in. I mean, we, we, we have no problem investing in a big vacation or a car or a, a house or an apartment, but when it comes to the year, it's like, oh, you know, I might spend 600 to a thousand on my garden this year. You know, like, uh, I might, you know, I might dedicate a little bit of money. It's like, you know, think about it from the perspective. What if that was your main investment? Mm-hmm. Um, what could we, what could we get out of it then? And that's what we've done now is we put almost all of our money into this and we put and even in our investments, it's for putting money into the earth. So um, it's become a whole new lifestyle of how we how we have money. And and like I said, the money's not ours. It's it's it belongs to the earth, the community, or God. You know. Um, and yes, we still do some things that are that are that we consider like selfish or like for ourselves in a sense. But um, you know, we're not we're not perfect. You know, I still have like a guitar and an amp over here, and you know, I've got a. a you know, this computer and, you know, I'll, I'll, I do have, you know, nicer things that I've spent money on, but, you know, we really have to think about if we want to change our, our world, we got to change ourselves, change our lives. And, 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 uh, and then our world changes, you know, so. No, I love that. I think, I think that's really important what you just said. And, um, the previous episode I just recorded with Ethan and Steven, um, they gave the best definition to permaculture I've ever heard. And that was basically, you know, it's, it's a form of agriculture that's permanent, you know, per, permaculture permanent. permanent yeah. And I think if you're thinking like, what can I put my money in that's safe and also like really beneficial, it's permaculture, something that's like, you know, going to be around for a long time. And it's a benefit of me. Like I get to reap reward from it, but maybe I also provide some of that food for the community and to the land. I'm restoring the land and, you know, it gets much larger than ourselves. then. And I think that's like Amen. a great investment and in how to move forward. Um, so if people are like, yeah, like I would be interested in getting land and maybe even securing that for myself and maybe even I would think I'd think it'd be a great thing for the future for your kids. And that's why I plan to one day get some land so that, you know, it can be like a generational thing. Um, so if I was going to go look at land, what might be some things I would look into? Like, should I look for a water supply? Should I look for a certain type of soil? Or I know there's a lot that can go into that and it probably is very unique to your situation. But what should maybe some people yeah. think about? No, sure. Yeah. And if we're looking for land, I think that is important. You know, we think about the basic survival, you know, shelter, fire, water, food um, for ourselves and for the land. Um, is the land somewhat protected from wind and from, uh, you know, is it is it somewhat sheltered if we're going to grow some crops or we're going to put out some perennials? And then um, while they're still young and tender or immature, are we going to get hit with this Arctic blast that's just going to take them out? You know, because it's important to have like tree lines and different different buffers and windbreaks. Um, otherwise, we need to kind of create those ourselves to help protect plants. Um, so is there some protection? Um, is there protection from chemical drift? You know, how close are we to conventional farms? Um, if we're on a water source, what's upstream? Obviously, I mean, a lot of these things are just natural to think about. Um, but they're so important and they could really make or break a farm just like we had, you know, in Indiana where we had all that money invested. And then, you know, we were even guaranteed by the farmer that everything was okay. And it, when it wasn't, um, so, you know, we got to really, uh, really, really pray on that. And, uh, 
you know, is it in a floodplain? That's important. And then what kind of soil is it? if we go out to land and we're, we're interested in buying it, we should always take some shovels with us. Um, if you have a soil probe, take a soil probe with you. If you need to borrow one, just go to your extension office, uh, Purdue extension. Um, they're really excited to work with everybody and anybody. So just tell them what you're doing. And there's always resources to help through the Purdue extension there in Indiana. Um, you could probably borrow a soil probe and they'll tell you right, right where, which lab to use and get a full spectrum analysis. So, I mean, we can get analysis in the soil that gives our NPK and, and just a basic baseline. But um, if we can pay a little extra uh, for a full spectrum analysis with micronutrients, salts, uh, heavy metals, all those things, that'll give us a better idea about what we're up against um, when we go to a new area with new soil. So um, ideally it'd be like three years of fallowed pasture, you know, with, with some woods, and some, uh, you know, a nice spring to pump some water from. That's a fresh spring, you know, out of the ground. Uh, um, but we don't always have those ideal situations. Um, and we got to think now with the rising cost of everything, if you go out to a barren landscape and you need electricity in a well, um, that well might cost $12,000 or more. Um, that I mean, $7,000, $8,000 minimum, you know, as, as we're getting into that. And then electric hookup now, I mean, even just to hook ourselves up commercially is getting to be about $4,000. Um mm-hmm just like the underground conduit, the, all the, all the different materials and stuff like that for a 200 amp service. Um, so we can weigh that and say, okay, are we going to go off grid then if we're looking at $20,000 just to bare minimum, get uh, our land set up for water and electric, how can we use that $20,000 in a way that could um, be an off grid setup or something like that? So there's different ways to think about it and different ways to do it. Um, connecting with people would be very important. Like any local person that's done it, like Ethan in your area would be great to connect with for new landowners. Uh, uh, Karen, Karen Burr. Um, I, I'd be glad to help anybody. I'd love to come up anyway, just an excuse to visit you guys. Yeah. Um, but I love looking at landscapes and getting a feel for it with people and, and uh, uh, seeing what people are drawn to. Cause when I do consulting, you know, you never know, what's best for that person. And, and uh, typically we don't know what's best for ourselves. Um, if we're just getting into it, mm-hmm. um, we might, cause it's so romantic, you know, farming and doing all these things with the earth. It's so romantic. Like we're, we're at first we're disconnected from the hard labor. We're like, Oh man, this is going to be so beautiful. We're going to, we could picture ourselves out there, you know, uh, in the gardens, these beautiful gardens, you know, harvesting and laughing with friends and, and, uh, you know, all this stuff. But, but it, it, it's hard work and it's dedication and, 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 uh, you know, so we have to be really real with ourselves, how much time we can commit, how much yes. time we have. Um, and, uh, is there any extra income sources while we're starting a farm? And mm-hmm. that's very important. You know, I've always had extra income sources, um, whether it's been with like construction or side jobs or, or, um, you know, I just worked a three month temporary job delivering auto parts. I mean, we just got to do what we got to do. There's never like a, an endless pot of money unless you just have that uh, mm-hmm. to, to invest, um, um, to get to cash flow. You know, we have to get to that all important sustainable cash flow tipping point, you know, when we come to a new landscape. So, uh, we're, we're relatively new here, so we haven't reached that point yet. Um, but we've, you know, we're, we're getting there, uh, and through the mushrooms, we hope to really, really achieve that to where we're, uh, home hundred percent of the time. And then we can start working on the perennials and work out from there. Um, and that, that would be like our, our immediate goal. So yeah, there's a lot to it. And when we have to go in, you know, looking at it as a very expensive process, you know, if we're thinking it's going to be 20 grand, you might as well think it's going to be 60 grand. Yes. Um, uh, you know, we have to really consider that and then consider our friends, how much equipment does our friends have? Does our friends have any tools, tractors, 
backhoes, excavators, uh, skid steer. A skid steer is so amazing. You know, if we can get stuff done with equipment, um, that's that's a lot better than going out there and, and trying everything by hand, which I've done too, you know, and it just takes a lot of time. No, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to consider with uh, getting involved in more agricultural practices. And um, I even find it funny that uh, earlier last week, Ethan and Steve and I were going down and we're doing a project in southern Indiana um, in the Barkersville area. And uh, we had to get up at, I had to get up at 5 a.m. to start heading down there. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this is a working man's hour. <laughs> this is not something that, you know, I've done every day. And, you know, it's even just stuff like that, like just like really, because sometimes if you're going to go work on the land, like you have to be up early at the crack of dawn and yeah. um, spending the day like that. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah. I said 5 a.m. is a sweet spot. You it know, is, like yeah. That's, that, that's important too. If we can get up at 5 a.m., we're, we're, already, we're already helping ourselves out on a farm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So you just gotta ask yourself, can I make these these transitions? And it doesn't have to be like right away, but maybe slowly over time. But you know, I think about mm -hmm. the benefits that you can get out of having land like that. Like I'm I'm a big like water nerd. I love like looking into water. And if you had a natural spring like on your farmland, um, the healing potential out of something like that. And um, I was listening to a talk the other day. I I think most people don't realize is that like seventy percent I think of like the surface water that we see on the Earth was actually a result of asteroids. So water in itself is something that's from space. Like it's not something that was just like inherent at first. And so, oh, yeah. um, and then you think about water, how mutable and you can structure it and um, it can hold emotions. You can, um, mm. it has a predictive potential too. Like, you know, there's people that used to like look in a well at the water and they would see things and they found through like photography, like you said like um you had a certain intention and you placed your hand in the water like maybe you were thinking about like a blade of grass and you touched the water and you took a picture of the water like that picture of the frozen water would have a blade of grass in it and so water is this cool thing like if you have water on your land that's really healing and it's structured and it's going through the ground and it's a spring water that's been naturally vortexed it's like you put that in your body, you have like this <laughs> extraterrestrial structured, amazing superfood thing. Um, but it's just, I think just such a cool thing to kind of get into that it's in nature, it's right on your land. And, and I don't know if there's anything better than like having things like that, just that you're involved in every day. Um, Amen. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I, those are, that's new stuff to me, Aaron. I, I've, I'm interested in what you're talking about. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, I've read, you know, the book by Dr. Emoto, uh, the hidden messages of water, yeah. which is phenomenal, you know? So it makes me want to write love on every water <laughs> container. we have. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. And his work is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are interested in that. Yeah. Um, there's Gerald Pollock. who did the fourth phase of water. Um, there is Victor Schauberger, um, who, is interesting he used to like meditate next to i think streams i'm probably not gonna get this exactly right but he used to meditate next to streams and he said that he could basically through the water going anywhere he could um influence his consciousness from that and learn things that weren't inherently like right next to him he, he could travel with that um and obtain information that way and so i think we're just beginning awesome. to learn like what water can yeah. do um in the body mm -hmm. but also what it does around us um, so it'll be interesting to see what the future brings. And when I think about like yeah. what the future brings, um, I think about also like mushroom practices and this is something that I know you're involved in. And I also nerd out quite a bit on, because I think right now we only know like 
I think it's something small, like under 10% of the, the total mushrooms that are actually out there. I want to say like 3%, but it might be a little bit higher. Um, and so I always think like, no matter what I do with herbalism, someone's gonna be able to do it better. Like there's gonna be more mushrooms that they learn about slowly over time. And it's just gonna be amazing to see what they can do with it. Um, so mushrooms are something that, you know, I go out and I'll gather. Sometimes I'm getting into growing right now as well. Um, but that you yourself are actually quite involved with your growing on your own um, land. I'm curious, how do you view mushrooms in the role of like the ecosystem and the environment? Um, and what are the yeah. different mushrooms that you're kind of growing right now? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, death and rebirth. I mean, it's just this constant cycle of, of life and death and nature and something we can honor. And then, you know, mushrooms is, you know, fungi, it makes us a part of that. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing that on, on a real time, um, you know, a tree fall down and then gets uh, inoculated with whatever spores the forest has to offer in that area. Um, and then, then grows a mushroom and then the mushroom fruits, you know, uh, and, and gives food or gives medicine. Uh, so it, it's just a phenomenal process. And then just the fact that the, the mycelium in the ground are, are, are a fungi network, like a neurosystem that communicate, allows everything to communicate together. I mean, that's phenomenal to me. So we just thought about all that and we we're like, well, it seems like mushrooms are extremely important. You know, we don't, we don't fully, we don't fully know or grasp it yet, like you're saying, but um, it's something that's just amazing. And they keep mm -hmm. multiplying, they keep working. You know, it's kind of like uh, this AI that's coming out. You know, like I see mushrooms like AI, like mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're constantly working. They're not sleeping. They're not taking break. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe they are. Yeah, I'm sure they are like sleeping and resting. You know, someone would probably totally disagree with me on that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. But uh, but it's just phenomenal. They, they Like I can take one bag of grain spawn and turn it into 10 bags of grain spawn. And then they just keep eating on the substrate. Um, so it's something that we can do for food um, that replaces meat. Um, you know, some people, some people down here have alpha-gal syndrome from the ticks uh, down here. Um and they can't eat red meat. So, mm. uh, you know, mushrooms is a good, uh, good source of protein for them. And, uh, so that can be important. Um, and just the, the vitamins and the, the nutrients and just the wonderful taste of them. I mean, it's all just, it just all kind of comes together, uh, to us that it should be something about, you know, a part of everyone's farm, just like if you had chickens and eggs and, and, um, you know, it's just one of those things we could always have off to the side that doesn't take much labor. It doesn't take much effort. Um, just takes a little bit of our time, a little bit of our, you know, patience and understanding. And once we get it, we, we've got it, you know, and it's another tool for our tool bag. And it's another, could be another income source for a small farm. You know, if you're on a half acre or a quarter acre, or you're even in a house or an apartment, I mean, this is something people could grow in a two bedroom apartment. You know, you could have one mushroom room and then your, your bedroom or whatever, or move out to the living room and have mm -hmm. that as your bedroom and make your bedroom a mushroom room and, you know, make another, you know, make 500 bucks a month extra or something. Um, so it's something any of us can do. It's very simple. Uh, we could grow it on straw. Uh, we can grow it on uh, the best thing we use. It's called master's mix. It's what was kind of figured out amongst the mushroom growing community, which is half soy holes, like organic soy holes, which is like the byproduct after they um, harvest uh, soybeans and stuff. They they blow out these soy holes and you can buy those in you know 50 pound bags or 40 pound bags, I think. Um, and then we mix that with half hardwood pellets. So we dissolve uh, hardwood pellets like you put in a pellet stove. Um, and it's gotta be hardwood, you know, we want oaks or, or, um, 
you know, uh, oak is just wonderful. You know, white oak and red oak and black oak around here, it seems to grow the, the best oyster mushrooms, the best lion's mane, uh, shiitake, um, all these different varieties can grow on oak is kind of a general variety. I think there's like a Phoenix oyster mushroom that grows on uh, pine, you know, so there is like some conifer strains, but not many, you know, mm-hmm. not many of these, these strains grow on uh, conifers. Um, so it's kind of cool to learn what, what substrate grows, you know, uh, what, what mushrooms grow on what substrate. So yeah, mi- uh, half, you know, hardwood pellets and half soy holes, 50, 50 mix is technically the master's mix. And then we just sterilize it. So we want to have like a clean substrate uh, once you mix it together. Um, so with straw, we just boil it, I think like 160 degrees uh, for like 45 minutes or something like that. Uh, we've got this big old Louisiana, uh, you know, crawfish, you know, cooker thing that we put on some propane or we'll put it over a fire. We've, mm-hmm. we've done a big batches just with a, a fire and one of those big cattle troughs, one of those big metal uh, uh, water troughs. And we've done huge batches of straw and that works out really good. So you can do a bunch at one time um, and uh, then just experiment. You know, we can put them in, uh, you know, a lot of mushroom growers use plastic bags stuff the straw in there, put a little grain spawn, put more straw. It's just layers of straw, grain spawn, straw, grain spawn. And then we cut, uh, once it inoculates, you know, once you see the, the, the mycelium spread through the whole bag, um, then we'll cut it open and it fruits, mm-hmm. um, so cut the bag open and, and it fruits for us, uh, with the right, you know, temperature, like 75, 80 degrees is perfect. Um, with, with high humidity or moisture, but we can just spray it with water if you need to as well for pink oysters, um, stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, I'd be happy to share like any, any like methods to, to grow mushrooms um, that are really simple. Um, but, but that's all there is to it. I mean, you just got to sterilize the substrate, whether it's straw or, or this master's mix blend. Uh, we pressure can um, the master's mix blend. So we've got a pressure canner that we, we do that for. And that's the best way to sterilize something is to, you know, kind of put it through an autoclave and, and uh, just like, you know, and medical and labs and stuff like that. So we've got our own little lab now with a, with this flow hood, that gives us like two feet of clean air space. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're becoming scientists, I guess, um, on accident <laughs> on the side, uh, side hustle of being a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's fun, you know, fun to do with kids and, uh, fun, fun to do as a family and you get to watch, you get to watch this, this stuff just grow magically. It's, it's a magical process. Um, and, uh, and we, we just love it and it just, they just taste phenomenal. Most people that don't like mushrooms will like these gourmet mushrooms. So, you know, it's just, it's just different. It's not like this white button, um, portobello that you get, you know, in, in the store. It's, uh, it's, it's really cool, you know, really cool oyster mushrooms and lion's mane and they just taste phenomenal. Yeah. I think if we can be, think beyond our portobello, we're going to get a lot more benefits and um, not that those are bad, but right, not that there's just so many medicinal benefits from like, like you said, those mushrooms that you mentioned. And, um, I'm definitely excited when I come down in March to visit you to nerd out on some mushroom and see what you guys are doing. Because yeah, it's, it's cool. The different blends that like you can do grain, you can do the hay, um, different types of wood is, are cool to experiment with. Um, and yeah, yeah. just matching it up and, doing different grow rooms like i'm in the more when it's a little bit more tolerable outside a little bit warmer um i like to do like the and we did this actually together where you drill on the side and you do the the um little doll rods and you put them in the wood yeah yeah Yeah. and i'm doing a little bit of indoor growing right now i've gotten some hiccups with my martha tent is just trying to fine-tune that and get the humidity right and stuff like that um so that we're gonna definitely geek out when i come down because yeah there's so many different things that can 
um, go into growing mushrooms. And I think, like you said, it's life and death, but I think it's also life and death in the body too. Like we can really help some, a lot of, um, conditions with mushrooms, whether it's our immune system or, um, the nutrients. Like I, I don't think people realize like mushrooms are the highest dietary fiber source that there is just because of the polysaccharides, all the resistant starches. Um, they're a great source of copper and like protein, like you said as well. Um, and each one has a different medicinal virtue. You know, if you think about lion's mane, we have that nerve growth factor. Um, if you think about like reishi, we have the triterpenes that are immunologically beneficial and bitter for our liver. And there's just a lot of different things that we can go down with mushrooms. And, um, I think if you look at the soil too, like you said, it's that nervous system. When you take like those maybe spent substrates and mix it into your garden beds as part of like a fertilizer, it's just amazing what that can do as far as growing. Um, have you guys yeah. experimented with that with taking the spent substrate and mix it into stuff? Yeah, we, we actually have that. Yeah. So all of our spent substrates from last year are now, um, pretty much finished compost. Uh, right now we mixed in some more stuff, so that needs to finish up some more. I probably should have separated the piles, but, um, but yeah, we're getting ready to put that down on another garden bed, uh, here soon. Uh, yeah, here pretty soon. So it, yeah, it's exciting to see all that go hand in hand. And then, uh, and two, I mean, we've, we've experimented with where you just have a hardwood mulch pile, like from a local, uh, guy who he's got a sawmill, but the day he grinds hardwood, hardwood trees, he's got like a mulcher that grinds the bark and stuff like that. So he calls us, we've got it now where he, he, know, he knows us and he calls us like right when he grinds, he says, Hey, you need a load. So we can get these nice. loads of like fresh hardwood, uh, oak, you know, uh, oak mulch. That's and uh, when it's fresh, like we can immediately inoculate it. So we just put it down and we inoculate it. And, uh, and, uh, we can have mushrooms just growing underneath our trees out here under these, uh, box elders. Um, we just, you know, so, so you can just play around with mushrooms and that's, what's cool. And, and we can put the, the group, the spawn anywhere and whether it's liquid or, or a grain spawn and stuff like that. And just, as long as it's in that right environment with uh, not too much sun and, and, uh, you know, give it some shade and keep it moist. Um, it's just a phenomenal food source and not a lot of people are going to, you know, it's one of those food sources that if something does happen, you know, God forbid, like a collapse or some uh, catastrophic event happens, uh, mushrooms are something that could help sustain a community and help, uh, you know, you can keep multiplying and keep feeding the community with that. Um, and, uh, other people might not want to kill you for a mushroom compared to a deer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah if we eat eat insects and mice and mushrooms you know that might be more sustainable than always going after the uh the big buck yeah yes definitely and yeah <laughs> i love that i love the the work you're doing with the mushrooms and um yeah, they have an amazing potential just with healing the land and i think yeah we've we've just done a lot of damage for so long and the bioremediation that mushrooms can provide it's it's so much to gain back what we've lost but then also provide for the future as well um I think in the next kind of vein of things that I would like to jump in with you and it's probably one of the last things we touch touch on and you said this yourself that you know you're like a huge advocate of community and living within community and um, how important that can be Um, in your perspective why do we need to get back to community living um, and what are some of the benefits of yeah like getting off grid and rather than like buying things constantly maybe trading and bartering services and um, providing for each other. Why is that so important for people to do nowadays? Oh man, I yeah, 
yeah, we definitely touched on that a lot. And that's a huge, a huge part of uh, why I do what I do is for community. I mean, that's the main thing. Someone asked me earlier, they said, what do you want to do this year? I said, I want to build community. And that's all I'm thinking about. I mean, uh, we have all these other things, these gardens, these animals, these, you know, regenerating the landscape, but we've got nothing without each other. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like such a, so alone if I, if we don't have the benefit of a community and we need that as people we're, we're not like a species that just wants to be off alone you know and it's a collective consciousness we're all you know and that's something a red-tailed hawk shared with me when i was 17 years old um we were flying through southern indiana and this red-tailed hawk came down in front of our car and and uh it was kind of through a tunnel section on a hill where the trees made a tunnel and we we uh it went off to the right and we we're supposed to go off to the left you know as our typical way of travel and we're like, hey, let's follow it. So we followed it. And we went back around and we went down the same hill again to go left. But uh, it, it happened again. The, the hawk flew out right in front of our windshield and flew down and went off to the right. So that happened three different times. Then we saw another hawk up on the hill and it flew off in the direction of that hawk. And then at that point, we realized that it's like it's like God gave us some kind of message that we didn't have at that point when we were asking a lot of questions. And that was that we affect everything as everything affects us like we ripple out just like a stone on a pond just like everything's rippling towards us so that gives us a responsibility you know to each other and to ourselves um with our thoughts and our actions um that that really deeply impact each other and um and i think that overlaps and it's always at play so how can we like face that as a community how can we have conversations how can we break down those barriers how can we accept everyone for where they're at right there you know accept each other just like we'd accept a plant or a tree or anything else you know and and that to me is like the the foundation of community is is love empathy compassion and understanding you know um how can we how can we judge anybody you know without looking at ourselves in the mirror and Mm -hmm. so to me like we create community by first healing ourselves and looking at ourselves critically in the mirror you know if i want to judge somebody i gotta think you know why am i why am i throwing stones at them when i need to think about that for myself or why you know and and that's the most important thing is kind of, you know, we all got to pick up a stone outside and just carry it around in our pockets. Just always remind us, um, you know, how important it is not to throw stones at each other. And that looking in the mirror is the most important thing. And as we look in the mirror, then we really start to see how, you know, who we are, you know, what our flaws are, what our, what our faults are, what our, you know, what our egos are, what our, you know, and, and, then, and then we need to eliminate our, ourselves out of situations in, 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 in a very real form mm-hmm. so that we can get together and we can see opportunity as a community. And we can we see differently that way because we can't just approach this community and say, oh, I want to regenerate the land. I want to have community. I want to have this and that. But, but yet our own lives and our own spiritual paths and our own internal stuff is just in turmoil, you know, and, and, and we don't you know, we have to be able to think. We have to be able to think like the earth thinks because the earth is a community. Nature is a community. Nature is a collective consciousness. So that's why I talk so much about getting to nature before we even think about agriculture is we need to go and clean ourselves. We need to go and spend time and uh, pu- you know purify this internal aspect of ourselves to clear out our, 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 our minds. We've got so much distraction and garbage in our minds that we can't even approach organic agriculture, regenerative agriculture from like a a natural state if if we're not in a, in a point of surrender and in a point of prayer and in a point of something greater than ourselves um so community to me is 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 founded on something greater than ourselves you know there's not like one leader that's going to step up that's going to be ultimately charismatic and just like save us all you know it's it's all yeah. of us saving each other 
it's all of us being responsible for each other you know like being responsible to to not lie to not to not cheat you know to be humble to to take accountability to say that's my fault i did that and now you know i'm going to correct that but that's totally my fault and and we got to embrace that we got to embrace our failures and and honor them with talking about them mm-hmm. you know what i mean like if i if i mess up on something i'm going to be totally honest with you aaron and be like hey man like i that just cost us two thousand dollars, and like if you're my partner or something, it's like I'm sorry about that. You know, here's what we learned going forward. You know, we we have to face things just openly and honestly as possible, or we will not have community. And yeah, and we need community to survive. We need each other to survive. We need each other to thrive. And uh, you know, I mean, sharing skills, tools, knowledge, and all these things are important. But man, we have to we have to really look at ourselves very critically in the mirror because that's that's really where it's hitting it. You know, like I haven't posted anything on Facebook for such a long time. Cause we've just been thinking about, you know, how important it is just to really assess and be critical in our own lives and like how, how we can, how we can achieve these things without this, all these different distractions and, uh, you know, opinions and, you know, everyone's, everyone's got their own view on how, how you, we should do it, you know, or how mm-hmm. you should do it. Or, uh, you know, like everyone knows better, uh, than us, but in, in, in a way there's truth there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have to always humble ourselves. And, and uh, I think that's what communities is, is ultimately like about, like we have to find the root and the foundation of how we can even create community because we've been so divided and so distracted. Yes. Um, so, you know, no, I love everything you just said there. Yeah. And I think I like what you said with, um, you kind of have to clear yourself. And I think um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately just because I've, I've noticed like sometimes I'll go off and I'll do something and then I'll get distracted with something that's going on. Yeah. And, I'll be like, oh, I need to go do X, Y, or Z. And I'll ask myself, why am I, like, why do I want to go do that? And um, I sometimes realize, like, well, that's like a past trauma, or that's a past hurt, or that's like something when I was in high school, that was an ego blow that I'm trying to, like, like, remediate out and reconcile. And um, I think we have these things where we have these wounds, these traumas, these things that happen to us that, you know, when you think about it, like, you're like, focus hyper focus on all oh, that thing I said to that one person that really embarrassed me and um we even have that family lineage that family trauma that's like stored in us and I think yeah. sometimes if we don't clear that out we can go about and get distracted and serve something that's not really of our highest order in mind and it, it can't be for the community because it's it's a wound um and so I think yeah, just I like admit. sitting with yourself and saying hey like I'm acting right now because of something that happened in the past and um I need to sit with myself before I, I go off on this huge tangent and run around and waste time. And maybe I blow $2,000 on, you know, on this bad experience that's really not going to serve me down the road. And, you know, yeah, like you said, you just kind of kind of say, hey, I did do that and that's fine. And just be very honest and yeah. um, aware and, yeah, and sure reflect. Yeah, like like how you're sharing that with me right now. Like, that's beautiful. You know, and to me, that's the that's community is is us sharing openly and honesty um you know with each other and and having that feedback too where we support each other lovingly where it's like hey you know like i'm 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 really glad that you you came to me with that you know rather mm-hmm. than keeping keep yourself because then you know you keep it to yourself or, or whatever then things start to kind of you know develop little resentments different different nuances to the relationship that don't that don't serve creativity so yeah so are our thoughts creative or destructive are our actions creative or destructive you know and that's something we can always ask ourselves is like is this creative or destructive? Yeah. Uh, period. I think that's you really important. I mean? like, yeah. Yep. And I think too, like when we're like making those changes, like there can be a lot of excuses that come up as well. And people are like, oh, well, you know, I'd love to go live off the land, but 
how am I going to build a house or how am I going to have my, you know, my conveniences close by. But I think when we go and we make that change and we just jump into it, things are provided. And I even think about like housing as a big thing. Um, that's something yeah. like, well, how am I going to build a house in the woods off of, you know, a, like a couple of acres and you can build that off of like, you know, you could build it out of wood or you could build it out of clay. And I think that's like one of the cool things that I've heard that you've gotten involved in is like, um, playing around with building like more earthen homes. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. And I think that's very important too. And all this stuff ties in, you know, everything that we're talking about ties in together. It's not like mm-hmm. one thing separate from the other, you know, all this stuff is part of the same, uh, uh community, the earth, um, regenerative agriculture, it all ties in together because regenerative agriculture is a lifestyle. So if mm-hmm. we're living the lifestyle, we want to be in c- communication with nature. So if we want to be in communication with nature, we want to be living, living like that. And that's what me and Essie, my, my wife, we've been talking about again and again and again is, is, you know, we're temporarily staying in my father-in-law's like old hunting house that he had here um, while we get stuff set up. But, um, you know, come May, I'm hoping to just buy time so we can make a, an earthen home. And however that happens, it's going to happen. We're just going to start with the foundation and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever resources or, or stuff we have, we just got to do it. And like you said, stop those excuses, like quiet our excuses, because Lord knows we're so good at excuses. All I mean, we're just, you know, we're so good at making excuses and so good at telling us, ourselves stuff that, that, that keeps us inside and keeps us from, you know, going outside that, that that's just a, it's something we got to break and it's something mm-hmm. that's a lifestyle, a lifestyle choice. You know, we're not just talking about things to like piddle with, we're talking about entire lifestyle changes. Um, and that's, that's what we have to realize is like the depth of, of what we're, what we're all talking about. If we want community, we need to have a lifestyle change, mm-hmm. you know, and if, so that to me, that, that leads us right to earthen homes. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if we want insulation we don't want HVAC, you know, we don't want, um, all the, all these, all, you know, the electric and all this other stuff, you know, we can create insulated homes with, with, um, thick insulation and cob and clay, um, clay that would, you know, keep the, keep the ground cool to where these houses, I mean, these houses are literally insulated enough. Oh, beer wants to say hi. You want to say hi? <laughs> I thought I saw her pop up in the background. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is beer. Yeah, you say hi. Say yeah, hi. Hi. You got some boo. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think all of this leads us to earthen homes, and and you know, we get to build them as a family and get our kids involved, and we get to all play in the clay and the rocks and and. Uh, it's just awesome. It's fun. And it's something we're, we're getting ready to do ourselves to build an earthen home. And, uh, we hope we can, you know, share that with as many people as possible. Um, because we can, and, and like I said, these homes regulate their temperature. So in a hundred degree weather, um, you know, you open your windows at night where it's 60 degrees or 70 degrees, close them first thing in the morning, and it's going to maintain that temperature all day, you know, without air conditioning. Um, so that's really important for us. And then when we create root cellars and, and different things, um, like that, we're using the earth's we're using the earth as an insulator. So um, I think that's very important for our future and communities and building community looking ahead is, uh, you know, considering, considering only like earthen, earthen construction and uh, renewable sustainable construction. Cause then, I mean, it, if it lasts, you know, 20 to 50 years or, you know, maybe a hundred years, if we really timber frame it out and protect it all, protect all the walls with awnings and stuff like that, um, you know, what's the worst that could happen? 
you know, it's just going to return to the earth. You know, you're not, we're not going to leave all these toxic chemicals and this toxic waste and all this stuff just, just there. I mean, it's going to return to the earth and probably grow mushrooms and, you know, fungi is going to start growing out of the walls and off the beams and the timbers and stuff. So, I mean, to me, it's a magical process that we can always be a part of, of life and life and death. Yeah. Uh, no, man, we, there's just so many cool things that you're involved in and you know about, and, um, you've taught me a lot, just even like over the years, just talking to you and even today, just hearing you speak on things. I'm like, wow, I'm going to really try that on my own time. Um, and I'm looking at the clock here. I'm like, man, we've been talking for a while, so I probably need to start letting you get back to everything here. But, um, kind of as we wrap things up, I'm curious from your, you know, wide background and all the different jobs and the people you've been involved with. Um, if someone was like, I really want to make a big difference in my health um, what are some practical tips? Like, what maybe like are three recommendations that you'd provide to someone if they really want to make a difference for their healthcare? Three recommendations. So these would be my three recommendations for myself. Um, okay. Plenty of, plenty of water. Drink tons of water, like over a gallon a day. You know, good good filtered water. Even pray for it. You know, um, and this is to myself. You know, so I, I can <laughs> sure, tell sure. this to myself. Um, wake up at five a.m get to bed at like nine, you know, eight, eight or 9 PM, you know, uh, get plenty of sleep, tons of water, and then just, just a good diet. Whatever we think we feel best with, with our diet is what we feel best with. I mean, we're all different. There's no one diet, one size fits all type thing. Um, but you know, whole foods, um, like I have a, a smoothie. My wife makes me a smoothie every day and that's kind of what I start the day with other than coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that, you know, that makes me feel good. We can mix whatever we want in there, um, into the smoothie. Um, so that really like gets me going. Cause I'm not really like a breakfast guy. I don't want to get right out of bed and have like tons of breakfast. And then I just feel slow the rest of the day. Like I'm just like dragging, mm-hmm. uh, but a smoothie makes me feel more energetic, uh, with coffee and, uh, yeah. So just diet, sleep and tons of water. Um, those are my three, <laughs> those are my three things. I think that could I be like good. It. Yeah. I think. Yeah. If you doubt all three of those in, I think I don't think there could be much that could go wrong in your life, to be honest. You'd be pretty dialed in. Yeah. Um, I like it. Um, so, Bruce, if people listen to what you talked about today and they're like, oh, I'd love to connect with Bruce on um, some projects in the, the future. I know you're involved in a lot of things right now in Tennessee, but maybe people want to reach out to you. Um, what are some ways, whether maybe through social media or email or ways to connect with you? Yeah, sure. Um, and I would love for people to reach out. If you, if someone's listening to this right now and you want to be a part of this or you want to be a part of something um, or you want to do something on your own land or you want to do something um, in your own community, please reach out to me I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Bruce Webb. Um, EarthToneMushrooms.com is our website. Um, yeah, so EarthTone Mushrooms. And uh, I think my wife's on Instagram. Her name's Essie Webb. Uh, I'm, I'm not on Instagram, so she could be living a whole nother life on there. I don't even know about it, but <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but she's on, she's on Instagram. And, uh, so you feel free to get a hold of her as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm easy to find, you know, um, I'd give out my phone number freely. I mean, can I say my phone number on here? Is you that can, yeah, whatever you want to give? Yeah. Yeah. My phone number is three one seven six zero five zero 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 zero. Uh, that's my personal cell phone. So text or call um, if you need to. Um, I do have another email that's whitedovefarms at yahoo.com. Um, so between all of that, just feel free to get a hold of me. And and uh, I, I am really serious about building community. Um, we would be open to talk about different caretaker type positions that would be here in Tennessee. Um, if anyone's wanting to get started and wanting to actually like live it 
and has the time to do it, um, we're open to having people come here and build primitive shelters with us, um, having a little plot for yourself and working out some sort of agreement as we build our business and as we, um, you know, raise chickens and raise crops, um, raise gardens and do our mushroom business. I think there's a way we can all build equity together, um, whether it's financial or, or however, however we see it, you know, we want to make financial sustainable sustainability a priority, but we, you know, we want to, we want to focus on whatever is needed at the, at the moments for each of us. So um, we're open to any type of living situations, but I'm very serious about, you know, one day, um, maybe sooner than later, um, talking about going in on larger projects together where we actually do pick our own neighbors and we have uh, larger community things that are greater than us, you know, like talking to you about coming down here and, oh, yeah. um, I mean, I could see you fit right into the, to the lab space and, uh, you know, it almost just like turn that over to you. Cause you know, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you've got all these great things to offer there and even more so than, than what's on my plate right now and what's in my gut right now. Uh, but we've got this, this facility. So. Um, no, it sounds wonderful. Always- and I, I know at some point in the future that we'll definitely be doing some stuff together because yeah, it's just too cool. The stuff that you're into. And yeah, I always have this like, uh, vision of the future of just being like on the land and working with the land, but then having now like a laboratory set up where I'm like doing yeah. <laughs> like different tincture blends and stuff like that for clients and having an office where to, where I can see clients and yeah, doing things like growing mushrooms and more of a, a scientific, more of a <laughs> scientific lab and yeah. such. So yeah, I would love that. And all the amazing things that you're doing is just incredible. Oh man, thank God. You know, we owe it all to God and that's the thing. It's not our, it's not ourselves. And, uh, and that's, that's the thing, you know, we, we, these are greater things at play, you know, that connect through all of us. And if we could recognize that and give honor to that, like that's, that's my only, my closing statement would be that difference between this new age philosophy and, and like the earth philosophy of the great spirit of God, you know, is that this new age philosophy that I've seen in a lot of younger groups and a lot of these like hippie cultures in this, this group is honoring themselves as 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 if we're generating the power as if we're the ones uh responsible for this stuff and mm-hmm. and i think that's i mean i'm gonna say it's wrong like i mean uh, like we're we're not the ones that should have any credit or glory or 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 be put on any sort of pedestal i mean we're just you know we're no better than all these fire ants out here that are just trying to get by you know and and we've got to really, I mean, these fire ants are actually amazing example of community compared to us, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I, bringing them up makes me feel guilty that we're not as good as the fire ants, you know? Well, so, we're a vehicle uh, for the expression of, yeah, God. And yeah, it's just like, we can yeah. like, yeah, we were yeah. talking about this on a phone call a lot, a couple of weeks ago, just when you're of service to the community and you're a vehicle of source, God, whatever you want to call it, you know, things just work out better. And yeah, that's kind yeah. of in the community. Amen. And, that, and that's what it is. You know, so it's like most of these things that have happened in my life, it's it's not really me. It's like me failing and then just trying to pick up the pieces again, you know, like so to the outside, it might, there might be some like romanticism and and different things um, to different stories and things I've lived. But mostly it's been like hardship, pain, failure, and then seeing the grace and the beauty beyond that, you know, and, and that's what's important, you know, is, is really ha- seeing our our failures as the greatest blessings in life. Um uh, you know that's that's just that's community right there you know if we can all fail together we can we can succeed together yeah no i love it man such great such a great time talking to you today you know thanks so much for your time bruce and you know, brother we're gonna be on some cool stuff in the future i can't wait to do more with you so thanks for being on the show today man 
Thanks for having me, man. I love you, brother. And uh, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep talking. I'll let you know. So I'm excited to see you in March as well. Yeah, I can't wait to get down. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely have some fun when I'm in Tennessee. Hey, wonderful. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm gonna get get out in the woods and I got some more firewood to cut today. So that's sounds uh, good, man. That's All right, you have a good rest of your day. All right, thank you. You too, Aaron. Peace. I always enjoy my time with Bruce. It's just my pleasure to get to spend time around him. And I just always feel like I walk away with a broadened, more macroscopic view of the world. Um, his background on philosophy, I think, definitely rubs off on his presence and just the, the way he speaks and holds himself. So if you guys also really appreciated um, some of the advice, some of the tips, and some of the viewpoints that Bruce shared, I'd definitely reach out to him. He gave you guys a lot of different ways to connect. Um, whether you want to connect about you know community projects and community space or farm or agricultural consultations, um, Bruce is a great guy to consider for all those things. I'm going to definitely be appreciating my time with him in March when I go visit him in Tennessee. And I think the big thing is let's find ways to do that here in Indiana. Also support our community projects, support our local agriculture, and again, just making sure that we're spreading the message. So if you can like, share, and subscribe, get this episode in the hands of people who need it, and we'll keep the message going. We'll see you guys next week for another episode. Focus on our origin of agriculture. We'll see you then. Peace.